Turn it on and rip the knob off. Guys, come on right back in to the Wrestling Memory Grenade, episode number 27. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me once again, Mr. Steve Ekstat, and this is the Clash of the Champions 9. Watch along. We're smack dab in the middle of November, Steve. Man, it feels like we just started, to be honest with you, but I know we say that a lot, but man, it, it really does feel like it's flying by, but here we are, Clash 9. Yeah, it's crazy to think. I want to say hello. I got lots of great news over the last week in regards to listeners through the Apple podcast as well as Spotify. We're pretty high up there in the rankings on wrestling shows over in Japan. So konnichiwa and all that good stuff to everyone out there in Japan. I'm sure the great Muda had a little bit of help doing that. I'm sure people wanted to listen to maybe not just our take, but maybe a rundown of Muda's career in the NWA. Thank you very much, Mr. Muto, I should say. Domo arigato. I was really pumped to see that. And then also, uh, salute, A eh, to all our friends up in Canada. Lots of Canadian listeners, apparently, as well, Steve. I got a lot of good reports, thanks to Apple Podcast. So lots of good news for the grenade. We're really taking off in some of the other countries here. Maybe at some point, when, uh, when we can weed through some of the, uh, the million American podcasts, we'll be up there in the United States as well. What is it, the early bird gets the worm, or well, I don't know, slow and steady wins the race? That's the, um, the tortoise and the hare, I is. think, maybe. Yes. Something like um, I guess we're international, huh? I know our yeah. podcast goes out everywhere, but it seems like it's taking off quicker in other places compared to here. And that's to me, that's to be expected. Uh, there's a, there's so many podcasts. And for those that choose us, thank you. Uh, hopefully we entertain you. And obviously we're doing something to bring you back. So uh, thank yeah. you. I just want to make support. it clear. I'm not a multi-million dollar guy, you know, running a podcast business. I, I, we're not, I'm not going to name any names, but there is at least one guy who runs a podcast that pretends, I, I think he pretends to have a lot more money than he probably does in his bank account. I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> uh, but that's not me. And I'm not going to pretend like that's me. <laughs> uh, no. I'm just doing this on we a shoestring budget. Right? You know, it's like, uh, I put a lot of money into this up front and uh, I'm just trying to get that back just to, you know, continue, keep going for another year here. But uh, so far, so good. We're basically more than six months into this now, obviously, with episode 27. And only four more regular shows to go after this. It'll take us through episode 31. That's only three more episodes of TV, news and notes, and one more watch along. Of course, that being Starcade 89, Future Shock. This, sad to say, is the final Clash of the Champions watch along. For 1989, of course, we started way back with Clash 5, way back in Cleveland, St. Valentine's Massacre. Not exactly a good one. Clash 6, over on Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Purchase the all-access tier. That's only $5 a month. Get all of our watch-alongs, including the Flair and Steamboat one-hour match from Clash of the Champions 6. Easily top two match of the year, I'd say, at least in my book. Clash 7 was the heat wave, literally. Uh, not only did the fans suffer, but the wrestlers suffered from fatigue and exhaustion as the uh, building seemed to be uh, 900 degrees, and only Steamboat yeah. and Funk were able to to uh, really outdo themselves, even in that that climate, as we see uh, a lot of the fans file out late in the show. Some of them took their shirts off. Mm -hmm. It was fun. 
Clash 8, of course, the forgotten Clash by many. Nobody really talks about it. It might be the best Clash of them all, at least up to this point, I would say. And here we are at Clash 9 here in November. So, like I said, this is, gonna, this is episode 27. Yeah, New York Knockout. This is episode 27. Remember, I said episode 31 ends it. We're done with the, with the NWA in 1989. Not very far to go. And episode 32 will be a special bonus episode to tie a bow here on the NWA in 1989 with a recap of some of the best and the worst of the year. And that culminates the week of WrestleMania weekend. Or excuse me, the WrestleMania week this year. So everybody likes to do a lot of fun things, WrestleMania week. And I know with COVID going on, there's probably not going to be as much fun things to go do. So maybe check out the grenade. We're putting a bow on NWA 89 that week. And all of that, plus we're going to give out our own awards on that episode of the grenade as well. And you've heard of the slammies. This will be more like the kablammies because it's going to be a little more fun, I think. It's episode 32 will also mark the announcement of the next venture for the grenade. What year, what timeline, what promotion will we be analyzing and I dissecting next? We'll let the cat out of the bag on episode 32. You're going to have to stay tuned till WrestleMania week to find out. The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the Grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts, everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-host for an episode of The Grenade all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, Plus, my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. 
It can be a watch along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's Wrestle C-O-P-I-A. And without further ado, I hope you guys have your WWE Network queued up to Clash of the Champions 9 New York Knockout from Troy, New York. I had to look up where Troy, New York was, Steve. I, I First, I went to History of WWE, and I saw tried to see how many times Vince ran there, at least in 1989. Would you like to take a guess? Uh, two times. Zero. Vince doesn't <laughs> run in Troy, New York. That's how big of a place it is. I had to look up where it was on the map. Apparently, it's like right outside of Albany, which Vince has ran in Albany before. Um, so that's where they are. Odd choice, but we'll get about that. We'll talk all about that as the show goes on. I won't leave you guys hanging too long to get going here. Obviously, if you have the WWE Network, you're listening to us now, you can go ahead, queue it up, and let's get going. Because in a few weeks, we're not going to have the WWE Network anymore. If you waited a few weeks to listen to this and you got the Peacock, head on over there and hopefully the Clash has migrated and you guys are ready to go over there. It does sound like they're migrating everything because in the promotional release, it says it's like 27,000 hours of wrestling, which probably I may, be, I, I may be misreading that or thinking the wrong number, but it sounds like they're just migrating everything over. I saw this week they're hiring. They want somebody who has a, a great uh, wrestling and a wrestling enthusiast to come in and take over their WWE Network portion of the Peacock for them. I wish they would hire oh. me. I'd love to get in there. Uh, that would be that sounds that sounds promising. Maybe yeah. there will be some efficiency. If they get the right guy, let's not get a, up the vault, let's, you know? let's not get the wrong guy. And there'll be the more vault. more Corey Graves shows coming up soon. <laughs> Just bring back hidden gems. Whoever gets hired, if one of you people are listening and you get hired, please bring back hidden gems. Oh please, that's God, all I yes. ask. Yeah, I don't know why. Who what who who in the right mind would? Well, I guess whoever was in charge. Got rid of it. But guys, we're going to count you down. That's enough bullshitting. Let's get out of the way. I know you guys were here for the, I know you guys like those fast shows. Like, oh, this is only a two hour one this week. So let's get to this one. It's Clash of the Champions 9, New York Knockout. It's Flair and Funk in an I Quit match. Maybe the match of the year. We'll decide at the end of the year. But I'm looking forward to watching it. Haven't seen it in a very long time. It's a, it's a classic. And uh, we're going to bring to you probably some audio throughout the show. Some of the, uh, promos or things like that as we get going here i'm gonna count you guys down steve if you're all queued up and ready to go we're gonna get going here i'm ready to roll all right guys get your wwe network ready or however you're watching this and let's count you down we're gonna go in five four three two one press play 
your belt, that gold belt. I don't want your family. I don't want your money. I want something that's more valuable than that ever will be. I want your pride. Because we're not talking about championship belts. We're not talking about women or cars. We're talking about something that both you and I have held higher than anything else and held first and foremost in our two careers. And that's pride, that's integrity, and that's guts. had to listen to that music one last time because i know with clash 10 we move over to the the texas shootout that's uh, they end up playing text what would become tex slasinger and shanghai pierce's theme music for that one so this might be the last time we hear the old clash theme as we get jim ross and gordon Soley on commentary for this one are they on there the whole night yeah gordon will be uh oh, color all night long the best commentator ooh, of the 1970s ooh teaming with the best commentator, arguably, of the 1980s and 90s. And Jim Ross, so uh, it's a pretty good one. I, uh, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I heard JR tell, well, it's, uh, I've, well, Gordon knocks it out of the park, certainly with the main event. Uh, anybody who remembers that says, uh, Gordon has quite a few uh, sound bites tonight on this show, if I remember correctly. Some really classic lines throughout the, the course of the night. Maybe not uh, full-color commentator, but just, one-liners throughout the night that really it's all it takes sometimes and jr along with gordon here and gordon uh, you know jim ross recently talked about this show coincidentally maybe uh that conrad and jim ross just recently covered this show and uh, jr said that gordon didn't even want to be the announcer and ross wasn't really sure how gordon even came about being the color here gordon didn't know if he could make it through a two-hour two-and-a-half-hour type of program and um he was happy being color. Actually, he didn't want to do either. So it wasn't like Gordon worked his way in here or he threw a fit or, you know, no, there was no ego here. Gordon was happy just being part of the show. And as Jim Ross even also mentioned, he wasn't so sure Gordon even kept up with all the storylines at times. So he had to just kind of feed Gordon the stories to some of these matches as they were going. And Gordon being a true professional from years of doing this, he caught on very quickly. And I, I don't remember Gordon really stinking up the joint here, although I, I get what you're saying. It, it could have been... Could have been bad. So uh, let's talk about. Uh, I don't mean talk- in any. No, I, you're, I don't I, mean go in on, man. any negative way. I just, I just think it's. I don't know his voice. <laughs> if you're not accustomed to it and used to it, it, it could probably get on your nerves a little bit. I know it's Gordon Soul and you kind of just accept it for who it is, but I never really grew up with it. I never really watched a lot of the wrestling that he did commentate. So it. I like him in short bursts. Like uh, I can't remember the show that he did where he was the he he was the guy on the main event. Like he came in and did the main event on one of the big matches. Was it the Bash? I, I can't even remember. 
But I know he comes in and does the main event, and that was cool. But I don't know if I could handle him for a whole show. It's been a long time since I watched this one. so Well, it could be worse. It could be that guy in the ring right now, Michael Hayes, on commentary for the entire night. I think I'd rather hear Gordon over Michael Hayes. So we do have that going for us. Um, I think so, too. Over in the Observer. uh, The whole night. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Over in the Observer, this ma- this show right here, Clash Nine, is only the second show in the history of the Observer to get one hundred percent thumbs up. That's every single person that voted gave this show a thumbs up. Second time ever. The only other one hundred percent favorable rating went back to Wrestle War eighty nine back on May seventh, which had which had Flair regaining the title from Steamboat and then the Flair and Funk angle post match. And so here we are in Troy, New York. Only four thousand people in the fifty hundred fifty eight hundred seat. RPI Fieldhouse here, and 4,000 pa- uh, people, and it was heavily heavily papered, is uh, reported here by the Melts. Uh, one, another note, as the roadies get to the ring here, get, getting ready to take on what was supposed to be a world tag team title match with the Freebirds. That's how it was built here, because technically, if you're watching TV, the Birds are still the champions. But back on the 1st of November at the TV taping, which will actually air this coming Saturday in three days, the Birds dropped the belts to the Steiner Brothers. You'll notice when the birds came out, they weren't announced as tag team champions. They don't have the belts, but they're also not selling it as if they've lost them either. So they're kind of quietly trying to get you to forget about it without really putting it over. So while this was billed as a world title match here on this show, not so much. They're, they're trying to get it out of your mind here. Yeah, I did see uh, when they came down that they were the they said world tag team champions, but yeah. they didn't have the belts, obviously. So. And Hayes immediately doing what he does best, stalling. And Animal's no not way. letting him. Not An- <laughs> Animal's not going to let him. He's going to press <laughs> Michael right back in the ring. And he's going to have to bump. Oh, nice bump by Jimmy Garvin. Ooh. Got popped in the top of the head there. And it's time to stall again here. So while the birds are stalling, let's talk about the Clash special and the rating. Doing a 4.9. And a seven-point share overall. And, of course, we know from the Monday Warfare show, a share is how many percentage of the people at home with the capability of cable watch. So about 8% of people with cable were watching Clash of the Champions here live. It translates into 2.5 million homes on average, about 7 million people. It's the third highest rating in the Clash history. But since TBS has grown in the last year and a half, it's actually the second highest as far as number of people. The only one to beat it was the original Clash number one with Sting and Flair. It did 2,560,000, only 60,000 more than this Clash, which is really just coming off of that big decline in, in viewership uh, throughout you know 1989, thanks to George Scott and the lingering uh, of everything he did as Hawks uh, tearing up Michael Hayes here early in this one. Yeah, that's a pretty good number for them. Um, Flair's definitely done what he can to turn it around. And the interest and intrigue is there. It's just, it's relating, it's like correlating to ratings and people watching, but it's not necessarily correlating to big houses. Um, As you can see, like you said, 4,000 people, but a lot of it was papered. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with where they ran this too. Troy, New York, what an odd choice. Obviously it's not, the bookers, Ric Flair's not sitting there and telling them where to go book shows. He's putting together shows. He's not. He's not the guy in yeah. charge of, of the, you know, the venues and, and the cities and travel and things as animal pops up from I, that suplex. 
I think the biggest thing is is if you if you need to take care of your your mainstay places, like if you're drawing poor in the Omni or Greensboro or places like that that you're accustomed to drawing well, you need to fix that first before you even try to go into New York and Connecticut and Boston and those sort of places because that's not NWA country, that's WWF country. So if you're if you're suffering in your own backyard, then you're not going to do well elsewhere either. So you need to fix home before you can go anywhere else, and they just didn't get that. I don't think they ever did, really. <laughs> Animal no-sells the back elbow there. doesn't even move. That's a, that's a new one. <laughs> this feel, Wow, he completely whiffed oh, on that, that shoulder block. <laughs> and it looks like Hawk coming in. It's going to back Hayes into the corner. Yeah, while Hawk and Hayes are getting it on here, I want to talk a little bit more about that rating because the, that rating that they drew is even more impressive, says DeMeltz, considering the plethora of wrestling on cable during the week of this clash. With the WWF getting three extra two-hour slots throughout the week on the USA Network during the week to repeatedly show the Survivor Series Showdown special. Not so coincidentally, one of those replays were shown directly in competition with this Clash of the Champions. So good old Vince there doing whatever he can, whenever he can. And the Clash rating started out comparatively high, he says. With the Birds and Roadies opener drawing a 4.5, it would escalate to a 5.0 during the Pillman and Luger match. And it shot up to 6.3 for the Flair and Funk main event. So quite, uh, you could see everybody popping over to check out Flair and Funk at the very least. It went up almost, uh, well, hell, almost two points for the main event here on this Clash. Good old Vince. And people think the Monday Night War started the war. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I love those things like that, man. It's so cool. And um, it's just ruthless. I mean, they both started it. So they were both like Crockett, I know, started, did some things. And Vince probably started all of it with the Survivor Series stuff in 87. But it's just crazy. You can trace this all the way back to the mid-80s. To this for this war, it wasn't just ninety five and on. It, it was a little bit of everything. So, no, right. This really started um, way back with the, uh, the showdown with the with TBS with Vince and TBS and Crockett buying the slot, and it goes all the way back to yeah the mid eighties. Oh, and yeah. that was that was Ted Turner. You know, that was basically Turner looking for revenge. But from, from that point forward, after having the falling out with Vince McMahon over the the TBS stuff and everything that went along with that. And is, that looks where, like, is that where Young got hurt? No, no. We're, that's a, that'll be at a TV taping here later in the month, and it'll air early somewhere in December. As Young is over in the corner. Hawk picked him up and dumped Hawk him. picked him yeah, threw, threw him across the ring, and as you can see, Ellering getting in the ring now. This match is over. It's a throwaway match, a nothing match. And the Birds will win on a disqualification. It's, Tommy Young gets in the way of Hawk. Hawk boosts him in the air about three feet and just uh, over his head, I mean, and kind of tosses him over into the corner. <laughs> I think yeah. it's, uh, to be honest with you, I feel like it's time for the roadies to just skip town. <laughs> I think they've ran their course here. Oddly enough, they've just, I think in the last couple of weeks, re-signed a contract for another year. Obviously, they won't last another year here, probably because of the, the pay grade as they're, they're currently making just underneath Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. They're third in the world of uh, American professional wrestling as far as 
how much money they're making. $200,000 or, or so a year, or I'm sorry, $250,000 a piece, I believe it is, uh, a year. Something along those lines. I'm surprised Vince didn't up it. I don't know what he did when he, when he grabbed him. Jim Ross outside here talking to Terry Funk and Gary Hart. This is where Gary's reminding Terry of Texas pride. He tells Terry, don't let his family down. Don't let Gary Hart down. And if I remember correctly, the Funker tells Gary Hart he doesn't want his help tonight. He doesn't need his help. He wants to prove he can beat Ric Flair all on his own. Of course, this is personal now. It's no longer about the title. Flair no, or excuse me, Funk no longer wants the title. He wants Ric Flair's pride. He wants to take Ric Flair's pride away from him. And uh, that's the main event tonight. The Funker and Flair, the final blow-off of the uh, long-time feud goes back to May. Almost a damn near six full months this has been going on. Yeah, it's probably the same problem we've been hearing. Um, like we talked about last week on the Grenade, man, it's just nothing but promos after promo throughout most of the shows just to push this show. They didn't have a lot of time to build anything, so there's very few angles that are being done, and a lot of them don't even need it anymore. It's just rematches from the Havoc show. So. Right. Promo, promo heavy shows that we talked about, and we kind of heard the same stuff a lot. It's all about pride and funk making fun of Flair's nose and things like that. But yeah, pretty the, decent ha- deal for what three weeks? Yeah, two and a half weeks. It's it's been. We've seen uh, two weeks of TV to build to this. Of course, like you said, there's not really much else you need to do. They've been building to this for six months, and now we get the blow off here. Two week, two and a half weeks ago, it was uh, Thunderdome at Halloween Havoc when. Flair and Sting beat Funk and Muda. And of course, Gary Hart can be blamed for that as Ole Anderson had Gary Hart throw the towel in accidentally. The referee Bruno San Martino called the match. But Gary Hart seemed to blame the Funker for the loss. It sounded like a little bit. What we have here going on, if anybody's wondering, and we're going to pick up the Sting promo coming up. I'm sure it's fun. It's Jim Ross in the aisleway with Bill Apter of the old famous Apter mags, or the Weston mags, if you will, uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and such. After is here to announce the most popular wrestler of the year award as the fans have supposedly voted on and also the wrestler of the decade award. But first it's the most popular and after is going to announce it goes to sting of all people. It's debatable of the year. He really didn't do a whole lot in the first half year, but I guess you could argue sting is the most well, popular. It's just, uh, he's one of the most over. Yeah, he's definitely uh, most popular. I would say. Let's let's listen to let's pick up what the stinger has to say. Oh, I see a trophy, foreshadowing likely. And sting from the fans of the National Wrestling Alliance, the most popular wrestlers. What would you like to say to all well, your fans? I guess maybe I should say that I'm I'm not worthy of this, or maybe I should say somebody else deserves it. Maybe I should say I don't deserve it, but I'm not going to do that because this feels too good. You know what I'm talking about? Woo! And thank you to all the little stingers out there, especially. Sting, the NWA's most popular wrestler of the year. Jim? Well, I'll tell you. Well, that was disappointing. I wonder if he wrote that. <laughs> that that was coherent. After. It, 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 well, somebody. It was coherent. It made sense. <laughs> somebody wrote it. It wasn't Sting. No, definitely not. And now after. It's kind of like ba- Dell Jr., uh, you know, doing nothing his whole, you know, every, uh, every year, but he's always the most popular All right. in NASCAR. And we got up next the wrestler of the de- now? yeah yeah the wrestler of the decade 
And this was not a vote by the fans. This is just PWR giving out the award for Wrestler of the Decade. And for the 80s, I don't know if you can argue that the Wrestler of the Decade is anyone other than the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Yeah, tough to argue that one. I think the only other person would be Hogan at that point. Well, you're not you're not going to see any cooperation with Vince McMahon and the PWI. So uh, everything well, goes no. to the NWA. <laughs> I know. I know how this gimmick works. <laughs> Rest of the year, 94 was Hogan because he was there at WCW, so. Yeah, for like three is matches. Is that the same trophy? Is that a different? Yeah, is it, is it different? I'm sure they both have different trophies. Is I one miss, bigger than the other? I've said, <laughs> <laughs> well, for decade of the year, I would hope so. But who knows? The WrestleMania 4 trophy was bigger than these. I like that they do little things like this in the middle of the show. It was nice and fast, too, and over with. Seemed a little early in the show to be doing that. Like, that was after the first match, but not bad. Well, I think every other match has, like, a, a meaning behind it or a storyline. So, I don't know. If, I don't know. That is a little early. I'm sure they'd save it towards the end and kind of get filler between, oh, like, I see uh, it's your boy in the ring. Ah, uh, shit. <laughs> That's not my boy. I think we got a woman promo coming up. Let's Let's have a listen controversial lady in the sport it's your lucky day today holy god how could they have a national My tv god. program without the most powerful <laughs> person in wrestling today woman why because i have doom to rule the wrestling world the steiners are finished no one can stand in my way not the road warriors not the skyscrapers and definitely not the midnight express no one can stop me, and no one can stop Doom from ruling the wrestling world. Why? Because I am woman. So men, look at it, wish you had it, and eat your heart out. And Rick Steiner, tonight I have a large surprise for you. <laughs> Looks like she has two of them. Well, I'll tell you something, Jim. She's an evil person, but she sure is pretty. She certainly is. <laughs> Gary Capetta. And you, you were saying, see, there's one of the one-liners right there from Gordon. Great job sure by Gordon. So he basically, he basically described it <laughs> in one sentence. <laughs> Holy man. That was her best promo. That was I her best. I don't know. Looked, I have no idea anything she said. So if you say so. I don't either. I was, <laughs> but, I mean, she was, uh, it was her best promo. I don't know if it had anything to do with what she was saying. But it was her best promo. No, but uh, good night. There you see no, Tommy Rich in that left ear. He's got. Co you see co Tommy Rich with the cotton in the left ear. That's a busted eardrum, courtesy of a Lex Luger potato. Thirty stitches to close up that injury there. And the wildfires Thanks, back Lex. just uh, what uh, two weeks later. Tommy Rich back in action. Way to go, Lex. Teaming with All hot right. stuff Eddie Gilbert as they get the jobber introduction. Waiting in the ring for this team. The, the team that debuted just two weeks ago on, on the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view, it's uh, Doom, along with Here Comes Woman, down on her own, one step at a time, don't trip and fall. There she comes. And she Doom not fooling anyone in those. Huh? Yeah, she's got her own personal uh, men, <laughs> her, her gigolos of the night, possibly. Takes a few to service. I'm sure Kevin Sullivan would whoop all their asses if <laughs> they even tried anything. 
As we get Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, for those who don't know, Woman Presents Doom making their way to the ring. Of course, still under masks at this point. Yeah, they're not fooling anybody with that gimmick. Well, especially Ron Simmons. He was just on TV a week or two before they debuted. I mean, there's no mistaking a guy. In, wow, there she is. The lovely woman making her way around ringside. In all her glory. Leading her team of doom into the ring. Of course, Kevin Sullivan yanked from this group just days before the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view. So he only makes one appearance with, the, with Doom, and that's because the match was taped prior to Halloween Havoc. Jim Hurd, of course, yanking Sullivan from the team, feeling that Sullivan would hinder Woman from getting over because Kevin Sullivan's such a, a dynamic personality in himself. I suppose. Uh, yeah, I think Jim Hurd made a right call. Uh, I would say he made a right call. I just feel like this this doom or this entire stable needs one more player, and I don't mean the guy that pops up next. I mean like an actual wrestler, maybe Lex Luger. I don't know. That would be a clash. So him and Woman are the same character basically to some degree. Yeah, I don't know who you could get. Kevin Sullivan was perfect if if he wasn't always, so good at cutting a promo. Yeah. That and like he's been that forefront of all these stables, like the varsity club and the stuff he did down in Florida and things like right. that. So, yeah. you would it would be the whole idea is to just make woman this powerful, you know, strong force that runs the show. It's all about woman, like you said here. Woman presents doom. Um, like we talked about on the grenade, she comes out to her strut by Bob Seeger, so it's not even. Like, Doom doesn't need that theme music. It's all about woman. That's all that matters. And these are just her henchmen. And so if you have Kevin Sullivan on the outside kind of just being a manager with her and that mouthpiece, I think it would take away from what they're trying to do with her. Right. So uh, he just wouldn't have worked. Maybe later on, like, you could buy him after she's already established. That would have been better. But the fact that he was there early on, like, almost immediately – you almost do have to yank him. There she is winking at the camera. What do you want to bet before this match is over? We get at least one Tommy Rich armbar. hundred dollars. Wow. You know Ron, what's going to happen. Ron. Well, that means you're betting against it because I'm betting you that it's going to happen. Oh, well. <laughs> Ron Simmons just picked enough. Eddie Gilbert up out of that headlock and threw him so far that Gilbert actually landed into the ropes. Simmons gets caught napping. Whoa, wow. What a kick out. He's not even, he didn't even give him a, a one count. Damn. Face buster by Hot Ooh. Stuff. Doing a little Fargo strut there. Little shout out to Memphis. Oh, there we go. Somebody say something about Wildfire. No, they didn't, Tommy. Here's a guy I wish had taken a few more weeks off from that ear injury. <laughs> you and me both. Oh, man. And I hate to keep saying this because, you know, I don't know who's listening to what. So, no, I'm not an idiot. I'm aware of Tommy Rich's past credentials. I enjoy his stuff in Georgia. I enjoy I, – I, I just told, told you at the Halloween Havoc watch along when it when your Halloween Havoc started playing into the 1991 with Rich and Morton versus the Midnights. I said, this is one of the greatest matches I can, I can remember of that period. Uh, but here in 1989, Tommy Rich is just not doing a whole lot. No, he's starting to come around, though. He's starting to get out of it. I remember uh, he hasn't been 
doing as many or as long arm bars. Uh, and I don't know if it's because he's in there with name opponents to where the action's picking up, but I don't know if he's just working off the rust and it took him longer than it should have, or if he's finally decided, you know, I'm going to work and make my way up to 1989 instead of being stuck in 1982, 83. So that's the problem. He shouldn't um, have rust to work off. He's been wrestling this entire time, just not for one of the big leagues. He's been down in Alabama and, you know, through Memphis had the big giant angle with uh, Austin Idol and Tommy Rich feuding with Jerry Lawler with Paulie Dangerously managing Idol and, and Rich and they were they shaved Lawler's head. So Rich has been around. It's just when was he's that? working those Memphis territories. Oh, what was that? Eighty seven, eight? I don't remember which year off the top of my head. Um Paul E. Dangerly, I should say, is what he was in Memphis. And then Lawler of yeah, course I just don't know like um you know but, it's I think it's just he's working those southern territories where you don't have to do a yeah, whole lot. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's and, what I was going to say. Maybe it's just uh, he doesn't realize he's on TV now where they kind of expect more, especially the NWA. I mean, I, they're all about work rating, things like that. So you coming in and just doing arm bars and rest holes, ooh, that was cool. Yeah, that press hey, slam onto his head. I loved it. Yeah, that's uh, that's clever. That I, I, think, I think he realized he can't keep doing that or he's going to have neck issues later in life. But that oh, did yeah. look cool. But, that looked uh, badass. That unique. Yeah. So I just think maybe it took him longer than he needed to to switch it up. Right. Like you said, he got better. I mean, he, he had that match with the Midnights and Ricky Morton there. So, I mean, yeah. obviously. I, I thought Tommy filled in for Robert bit. Gibson. Like, just, I mean, he could have been Robert Gibson. I mean, he did great. So it wasn't like Tommy just had stinkers all the way through. Even his stuff. Later on, I mean, he's certainly, you know, got a lot better than, you know, what he's doing here in 89. It's just Armbar City, at least. Like you said, he has picked it up, and he had a really solid match with Luger at the last clash. So Mm -hmm. he's had a few more decent matches lately. In fact, it's ironic that one of Tommy's best matches so far has been against the guy he's teaming with, Eddie Gilbert, when they did the uh, babyface versus babyface match. Yeah, that was a fun one. Is that the one with Dangerously on, on commentary? Yes, yes, where he sells the, their yeah, backstory right. and everything. That was a very that, limp-wristed, uh, dusty elbow they all baby of. Tommy, don't do that again. Teasing the turn. Tommy teasing the, like, dangerously constantly teasing the turn. To keep right, the right. So, that was a decent match. I think we're going into the finish already. Tommy got the hot oh, tag. Hey. Another limp-wristed elbow. Tommy cannot throw an elbow to save his life. He, it looks like he's just flailing his arms. Like yeah, yeah. Really... Tommy Young pushing Gilbert back and boom! Looks like the old heart attack Ooh. off the middle rope, if you will. And Butch Reed on top. Two, three. That's it. Doom gets the win in five minutes and 15 seconds. So the roadies and birds went 518. Doom and Rich and Gilbert here go 515. So the first couple matches on the show, not very long. No, at least they got rid of that slingshot into the big shoulder block type finisher. Uh, that just yeah, wasn't going to was, work. Yeah, that was not pretty. <laughs> Definitely uh, not. To say the least. Up next, it's Arcade, 89 Future Shock in just three weeks' time. Or maybe, no, four weeks' time. Sorry, in about a month. They must have loved that it's electrifying or <laughs> electric. <laughs> electric firing. Yeah, because they do. It's uh, Jim Cornette. Are you picking this up? Yeah, we're going to pick up Jim Cornette here. He's going to bring out the Steiner brothers. And Scott Steiner's finally going to name that interesting Hurricane Rana type maneuver. Come on in here, guys. Now, let me ask you a question right off the bat. 
I've seen this move you've been doing, Scott. That, that weird thing, it's like a combination backflip and flying head scissors. Do you have a name for that? What do you call that thing, anyway? Well, you know, Jim, a lot of people have been impressed with that move, and they wanted me to come up with a name for it. So the other day, me and my brother were sitting by the TV. I want to I want to say what, me and Scott, we was watching a, a, a scary movie, and, uh, uh, Frank, yeah, Frankenstein. Frankenstein? Yeah, and when he comes out, every all the people are going. <laughs> so, and every time I see you guys in the ring, they go. Ugh. So I, I come up with a name. I'm thinking, what's your name? Is what the Frankensteiner? The Frankensteiner. That's what you're calling the move, huh? Do, do you think you can do that? To, do you think he can do that to anybody? He can do it to anybody. Just ask him. What about the skyscrapers tonight, huh? Even Sid Vicious, you think? Yeah, he, you know what? Sid Vicious looks like Herman Munster to me. Well, now, now, come on now. Let me let me say this. The skyscrapers, they're big, they're rough, they're undefeated. Biggest team in wrestling, Scott. You got to take them seriously. There's no doubt about it. The skyscrapers are big. But there ain't a person in this world that me and my brother can't suplex. And what they're going to do when they're on their backs that tall? Nothing. <laughs> The skyscrapers tonight, but you've also got the tag team known as Doom in your future. Woman has sworn she is going to ruin your career, and she's going to use Doom to do it. Well, they're going to use Doom. Doom is big, but they're not going to run us out of wrestling. And woman, my mother always told me, never hit a lady. <laughs> but then again, you ain't no lady. Did your mother teach you the same thing, Rick? You know, every time I used to come home late, my mom used to slap me around. I was thinking, again, I was thinking. You were thinking? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, sometimes, maybe I should get my mom down here and she could slap the, the you know what out of her. Hey, mom, maybe I'll slap her. It sounds like your mom's the toughest one in the Steiner family. Yeah, every time I was late, my buddies would come home, she'd kick it out of all of us. So she was the toughest, even my dad used to tell my dad what to do. <laughs> she used to beat your dad up? No, just tell him what to do. But she could slap women around, huh? Yeah, she could slap women around. You know, woman's had some comments to make about you lately, Rick. Oh, she says everybody, everybody out there wants it. Well, I had it, and I don't want it. <laughs> That's it for this edition of the Louisville Slugger with Rick and Scott Steiner. <laughs> All right, that's a little uh, modern for 1989. Everybody out there wants it while well, I had it, and I don't want it. <laughs> and the Frankensteiner is born, at least the name the Frankensteiner is born, and Scotty's really ramped it up in the last few weeks. He's starting to spike guys' heads into the mat finally. It's not so much a takeover oh, move anymore as it is a finisher now. If he could talk, man, if he could have better promos, he'd be one of the greatest of all time. Up next, we have the Midnight Express taking on the Dynamic Dudes with Jim Cornette out there in a neutral corner. Cornette being forced to be at ringside. There There we go, Johnny Ace on the skateboard. Shane says, no thanks. Wow, he made it all the way down the ramp. Sure did. (laughs) Shane said, nah, ain't doing that. I knew he did it once. I I couldn't remember where I seen him, but I knew he came down that ramp one time on the board. (laughs) He's finally buying in when it's over. Yeah, it's not too much longer here for the Dynamic Dudes. Anybody that missed the storyline several weeks ago. Now, the Dudes came back for, uh, from a Johnny Ace injury, and they came back with a not a manager but an advisor in Jim Cornette because Jim Cornette says he will only manage one team. That's the Midnight Express. He's basically managing both of these teams. And, of course, Stan Lane has taken big issue with that. Supposedly, the story goes back to, Johnny Ace stealing a girlfriend of Lane's in, in years gone by in Florida. 
Also, you have to imagine there's jealousy here with Cornette managing another or advising a second team. And uh, Cornette said, you know what? I don't, I don't want to be part of this match. I'm not going to even come to ringside because I'll never uh, be in the corner of a team against my Midnight Express. But at the same time, I don't like the way the Midnights have been treating me. So I'm not going to manage them either. And that's when Stan Lane comes out on TV with a contract and says, you're contractually obligated to be at every match the Midnight Express are in. So you have to be at ringside. And that's when Corny came up with the idea that I will come to ringside, but I'll be in a neutral corner. We'll see what happens here. I can't call this the match of the night because the I quit match is on the show, but it certainly gets the loudest pop of the night does the finish of this match. We'll try to pick that audio up. Yeah, I still remember this one. Uh, you definitely remember this one. Uh, it's, it's good stuff. Just really well done storyline. For anybody who doesn't know the backstory, the Midnight's have been uh, lingering around doing absolutely nothing for the better part of the year since the uh, the original Midnight's feud anyway. Uh, and then yeah, I kind of guess they were lumped into the old uh, War Games match and back in July, but they really haven't been doing a whole lot since then. And then they got put on the house show circuit to put over the skyscrapers and what Jim Cornette referred to as the worst matches of the Midnight Express's career. I can only imagine. Poor Bobby. <laughs> they must have they just got jobbed out. And I guess Corny went to Jim Hurd and basically started naming every team he could to come up with ideas to give the Midnight something to do. And Hurd turned them all down until he got to the dudes because according to Cornette, the only team Jim Hurd hated more than the Midnights was the Dynamic Dudes. So he was fine with that. And then me and you have talked for weeks now about Jim Cornette turning this chicken shit on paper into chicken salad. Uh, maybe even a gourmet chicken meal. Because the storyline, the stuff week to week <laughs> has been absolutely amazing. I agree. It's been tremendous. And um, Jim Hurd probably learned his lesson not to give Jim Cornette anything. <laughs> Because he's going to make him look stupid for turning everything down. Because, and this is, uh, like I said, this feud was good. But just imagine if, if he was able to get Jim Hurd to say yes to a somewhat better, a better team than the dudes. Uh, it doesn't get much worse than the dudes in '89. So, um, it doesn't get much worse than the dudes in any nine. <laughs> no, uh, just imagine if you got one of those better teams, maybe a few with the SWAT team or cause they're doing really nothing right now. Um, after the roadies feud. So, um, they could have parlayed that off until into a feud out of the, out of war games. So they had, there's opportunities there, um, that they could have done to where they could have had a better feud with a better team. That would have been interesting, but, I'm kind of glad this happened because this is one of those more memorable feuds of 89 that you just, everybody remembers it because it was so well done, even though like everybody trashes the dudes and rightfully so, but, um, they do have this one really, really good story that was told by Jim Cornette and company. So, um, hats off to him. For those wondering what Shane Douglas is doing with that big, long, uh, elbow pad for lack of a better term that that brace of, of sorts, that sleeve. On his right arm, he's got two broken bones in his right arm, courtesy of Sid Vicious, who dropped him wrong on a move. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. So Shane's actually trying to work most of the match with his left arm, something he's not accustomed to doing. So keep an eye on that here. Shane really held he his own, though, at Halloween thing, Havoc. Yeah. I think he would have done better yeah. at Havoc had he not had that arm injury there. This has been going on for about six weeks or more. But I, me and you were talking during the Halloween Havoc, I think it was during the Halloween Havoc episode, that 
Imagine if the dudes had got the belts from the birds there. Uh, it would have made this storyline, the culmination of this, this night here, all the more memorable. Not that it wasn't a great, you know, what plays out wasn't great to begin with, but it would have been, you know, legendary had the dudes been champions walking into this. Yeah, that would have been something because then this story would even be better. I don't want to spoil it, but right. um, he could definitely say, like, you know, I did everything. I advised them to the title just so my team can get the belts back, um, which chicken shit heel stuff, which would go great with the team. So, And here we are. Run into uh, here. Look who's in the ring right now. Johnny, Johnny and your boy Stan. Stan. That's right. And they're the ones with the issues with one another. It's Johnny stealing Stan Lane's ex. Or as Johnny referred to her as only... some girl. So I don't think either guy really cared much for the poor lady that doesn't really exist. Or maybe she does. Yeah, I think Cornette said that Johnny and her kind of just went out as more of a socialized thing more than dating. It was just they went out a couple <laughs> times and that was yeah. it. So it wasn't even nothing serious. Um it was silly he added that much detail to these fake dates that happened three years ago in Florida. (laughs) But leave it to Cornette (laughs) to get that detailed. He's he's got nothing better to do. Yeah, I like the details. I'm I'm here for the details. The deets. It's Bobby Eaton in there now. Going to show everybody how to work. I don't know if anybody... Well, Shane Douglas knows how to work, but Johnny Ace not exactly Mr. Mr. Charisma. (laughs) Lighting things on fire here. The only problem is that the dudes are hated so bad. So if you're trying to do this to get somewhere, I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> he drop kicks nice, Bobby out onto the he table. Had nowhere to go. <laughs> he couldn't bump the damn tables Bobby in the had way. Nowhere to go. Damn, that table's long. It covers the whole side there. Oh, man, did Shane launch oh. himself. Taking a risk here on TV. Shane really trying to get himself over. Even with that bad arm, skinning the cat with that arm and taking a chance, taking a risk, taking a dive like that with an arm that's already fractured. That's a guy trying to get himself over. That is a guy trying to make a name for himself in the business. Yeah, absolutely. If they would have worked this way, you know, flying all over the place and doing things, I think they would have had a shot. It's just that initial run, they just didn't buy into anything. They didn't buy into it, and the fans weren't liking it. And I don't know, even if you bought into of, it, if that gimmick was going to work, jazzercising and whatever the hell they were doing out there on the beach with these kids. A little creepy. <laughs> Building sandcastles, according to Stan Lane. That was, that was a great line. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what could have been done differently to get the dudes over, but. It does seem like seems like Johnny's more into it on the apron and things like that, trying to get the crowd into it and stuff like that. Whereas before we've seen him where they're just standing on the apron doing nothing, right? Like they're not even trying to get the crowd into it. Shane Douglas in control, so they're not even really getting heat on the good guys just yet. Anyway, I don't remember this match going super long. Just seems odd that the dudes have been in control for the majority of the match here. The Midnights aren't exactly heels yet. But they've kind of shit all over Cornette for taking on the dudes, of course. The promos have been very heelish. Even Bobby Eaton shocked Cornette, siding with Stan Lane recently in the arguments. And they've been more aggressive, that's for sure, as well. Yeah. And one of the shows last week, Bobby Eaton hit somebody with the chair. Right. On the outside. Jim Cornette on commentary. doing things. Yeah, Jim Cornette on commentary says, that had to be Stan Lane putting Bobby up to that. So... (laughs) Cornette blaming Lane for all the shenanigans going on. Roll up there in the corner. Oh, 
Shane's see a lot of reverse ass off. Yeah, man. we see a lot of reverse body blocks lately here in the NWA. Yeah, it's like even it's my, cool again. Yeah, even Mike Rotunda and the Cuban Assassin have busted him out. So it's just the, it's the thing, it's the end thing here in the fall of '89. The Midnights have also brought back the double goozle recently, the high-low. The, uh, you catch them in the front and from behind, according to Jim Cornette. And apparently that's their heel finisher. I don't know why, but they, you know, they haven't done it all year long. And I had never noticed that they didn't do that as baby faces. But they haven't done it all year long, and then all of a sudden they go uh, basically heel, I guess you could say. And they're back to doing that move. So that was more of a heel move, I suppose. As Cornette took offense to it when he saw them do it. So heelish about, I guess it's cheating, I, I guess, but sneaky hitting it from behind finisher for a heel. I love the double goozle. I'm a mark for the double goozle. Uh oh, oh, they were supposed to Ooh. drop. Is that Johnny? They were supposed to drop him across the top rope. He missed the top rope there. Uh, Johnny's problem is just too damn big for the, re- the way he's wrestling. Yeah, he's trying to do flying head scissors. I don't know who talked him into these spots. I mean, clearly he can somewhat do him but he's just too damn tall to be doing flying head scissors and i think that, that i think is, the other problem with, with this i think the other issue too is the ring smaller wcw always had that smaller ring well they have the 18 foot like wwe has a 20 yeah it's two feet smaller here we go stanley yeah, set up the, I mean, the leg sweep here comes the rocket launcher oh knees up So when you got somebody as tall as Johnny Ace and you're doing head scissors and you got to drop on that, you, the ring's smaller for you a little bit. Eight Are you sure 18? I thought they were 16. No, no, it's 18. It's two feet smaller. Shane looking for... Oh, look at this. Angle slam. Yes. Olympic slam by Shane Douglas. He's doing Bobby's mood. Bobby's <laughs> been doing that lately. Let's pick up the audio yeah. here. Let's pick up the audio here. They're going home, it looks like. What Johnny Ace. Once again, the, the, the absence of Jim Cornette is a print way that Cornette now coming around the ring. Bobby Eaton had a chain. He had a chain. Cornette's got the chain now. And Cornette throws the chain out in the crowd. Listen to that crowd. You tell me. <laughs> wow. Did you hear that shot to the back of Shane Douglas? Whew. And not only did the whole storyline play out excellently, but the finish plays out excellently. Cornette thought of everything here. He comes into the ring like he's mad at Bobby for cheating. He picks up the chain. He shows Bobby the chain. How dare you, Bobby? Throws it into the crowd. Tells Shane, He looks at Shane Douglas and says, Shane, go get him. And the minute Shane Douglas' back is turned, you heard the explosion, as Gordon Sully referred to it. And even, even in the, the culmination of all that, the, the great pay- payoff of the whole thing after Cornette turns, the crowd goes nuts for the Midnight Express. They're back heels again. That's all the fans wanted. Cornette and Midnight's are together again as heels. The crowd is going nuts. And Gordon Sully says, brother. So we get a little bit of everything there. I love it. <laughs> that was, it was great. And I, I, no, that's what the crowd wanted. Like you said, they, they're heels, so it's going to play out better off for them later on uh, as far as being heels and not getting cheered like that. But you knew that was going to happen. I think that's the only issue that they 
the dudes were just never over. So whatever happened to them was they were going. People were going to be happy about. So everybody excited. Um, the Midnight's are heels once again as we move into the next match. Steve, it's Steve Doctor Death Williams out there against the Super Destroyer, and no mistaking that big ass. It's Jack Victory under the hood here, and this has to be like the seventeenth mask character Jack Victory's portrayed this year. I think the fourth on Clash of the Champions alone. There were two matches announced and originally scheduled for this clash. One of them was the Dr. Death, Steve Williams, to take on Cuban Assassin, the other being the Z-Man to face this Super Destroyer here, who was originally scheduled to be Wild Bill Irwin as Norman Claus makes his way out. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but Wild Bill Irwin took off to Japan to team up with Terry Gordy, ironically, as part of the All Japan Real World Tag League Tournament this year. So he's a no-show. Uh, it would have made sense, of course, uh, Bill Irwin's brother, Scott Irwin, was the original Super Destroyer. Bill Irwin later teamed with him as the Super Destroyer tag team. Um, so anyway, story goes that it was going to be Zink against the Super Destroyer. Uh, still on the card, but uh, Jack Victory under the hood. But Zink showed up late, and Doc was never told his match was canceled with the Cuban. So since Zink showed up late and Doc was there, they told Zink, just sit this one out. We're going to let Doc in the ring. So I say good call. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Whoever made that call. Why did they cancel the Cuban? I guess there just I, wasn't time on the show, I, I, I suppose. So we, we, get a, uh, we get two matches fused into one. Norman Claus out there, of course, uh, recently befriended by Dr. Death, Steve Williams. Given a yes. uh, giant <laughs> plush uh, teddy bear. <laughs> Big orange teddy bear. <laughs> oh, Jack Victory lands oh, on the table. Oh, oh my Why gosh. Is that table there? It's like whenever they stick a hood on Jack Victory, he gets 10 times better. He should have just wrestled his entire career under the hood. All of a sudden, he bumped. Right. I don't know what that table's doing there, to be honest with you. Doc Nobody following him to the there. floor. There's nothing on it. I'm, I'm wondering if it's a spot later on. I yeah, don't it's, know. It's a good but... call. I'm not sure. Everybody's landing on it right now, though. Oh, here we go. It looks like this one's already over. This was to be the Cuban, you can tell. Is Jack Victory going to do the job here? Boom! Oklahoma! Stampede uh, gets the win. Doc is just insane. One strong. minute and 41 seconds is all it took for Doc to put away the Super Destroyer. <laughs> and that table's still upside there, on its side there. <laughs> <laughs> Norman Claus in the ring now. What is he, what is he giving there? Is that a little, little tiny teddy bear there? By Norman. Oh, shout out to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Thumbs up, guys. And another. Oh. Turn complete. Turn's <laughs> complete now, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, Norman is a baby face for those who are not aware. Just recently turned on uh, Teddy Long. He was sick of Teddy Long taking all his teddy bears from him. So Doc comes out and gives Norman that big giant teddy bear I was just referencing. And, uh,. Norman was having no more of Teddy Long after that. He wasn't gonna. He didn't need the control. He, Teddy Long's no longer in control of Norman. Norman now a de facto babyface. We'll see where that goes. His, forgot his key. Forgot his key and couldn't control him anymore. And that's that must have been it. He lost the key. He lost that key during that Road Warriors and Skyscrapers match. I think a couple <laughs> weeks back at the Halloween Havoc. As the, speaking of the skyscrapers, here they come in another big match. These skyscrapers getting ready to take on the Steiner brothers. Holy shit. On free TV. Is this, is this it for Sid? This is it for Sid. Spoiler alert. Uh, 
I've been waiting for it. I thought it was when he got hurt. I thought he got hurt against Doc on Saturday night. When I was watching that, I was looking for it to see. I was like, huh. No, what happens here is, and I don't know where it happens in the match. I haven't seen this match. I, last time I saw this match, I wasn't even aware this is where Sid got hurt. So I wasn't looking for it. And it's probably still debatable exactly when it takes place. Uh, but at some point, Sid suffers a uh, fractured ribs in this match and doesn't realize that it also punctured his lung. So he's going around making the trips, doing whatever he needs to do for three more days after this until he's in an airport, I think in St. Louis, and he collapses. And, uh, you know, immediately sent to the hospital where they find he has a punctured lung as well. Dude's walking around in a punctured lung for three days after this, on top of the fractured ribs. So, Sid Vicious, Good everyone. Good thing he didn't go play baseball. Yeah, no softball. Softball. Scott Steiner making his way out by himself. Where is Rick Steiner? There is Rick Steiner. He's in the crowd pulling a Norman. <laughs> It's something like Norman would do. Is he passing out, is he passing out ruse? Is he he should be ruse? passing out ruse and Zubaz. No, instead he's got popcorn in a box. Handing out popcorn? Oh, no, man. just throwing it on. It's uh, classic Rick Steiner here. <laughs> I guess. I don't, he, I don't know if I like this against the skyscrapers. I can see if you're going against like a jobber or something, let him come through the crowd. <laughs> right, but man. Yeah. Well, it's questionable, too, based on the show it's on. I mean... It's one thing when it's Saturday night, the six oh five or whatever, but here on the Clash, I don't know. It's kind of hokey, and I agree with you. It's, uh, it fits better in a in a job match where Rick doesn't even necessarily need to be in the ring for the match to start. I think the only other thing too, maybe it's New York, and they're trying to give the New York fans something different than what Vince is going to give them, something memorable. I uh, remember that time Rick came through the crowd. Maybe I don't know, but yeah. Well, we got uh, two badass tag teams here. Two of the four teams that'll be part of that round robin tournament at Starcade: the Steiners and the Skyscrapers. And let's not forget, technically, the Steiner Brothers are World Tag Team Champions here, but it hasn't aired yet. Uh, Rick, Rick stole Teddy Long's hat. And <laughs> yeah, he's having a little fun with Teddy there. He's thugging and bugging. Peanut had chance, I'm sure. Play parlay or whatever. Yeah, he's doing play, everything. Play, play, and parlay. He'd be drinking that haterade. Back the Mac <laughs> and be down with the Brown. That's all right. Homie, don't play that. I think I'm out of catchphrases for Teddy Long right now. Let me holler at you, player. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. This is a Shoot. tag match. A uh, tag match. There you go. Oh, man. As these guys get going, Tommy Young in there again. Wow, man, look at these two teams across the ring from each other. What could have been had the skyscrapers been able to stick around for the long haul? Obviously, Sid was going to be a star on his own eventually, but another half year? I would have, I would have been happy with the skyscrapers continue to dominate. Oh, Watch this too. here. Watch this. We don't want it, but he's going to get it. Oh, welcome to the oh Steiner God. world, Dan Spivey. Eats a German suplex. Reminded me of the time Kane did not want to take a Brock Lesnar suplex. It was happening, whether you wanted it or not. <laughs> oh, Spivey. <laughs> Sid was like, ain't no way I'm doing that. And the Steiner's looking good right away. I was, I was mentioning, though, the Steiners are technically the tag champs here. It just hasn't aired yet, so they're not announced as tag team champions. That'll air in three days, though. So the Steiners basically by the end of the year, I mean, they've just started teaming heading into the bash, maybe June. 
Um, and by the end of the year, they're, I think they even supplant the Road Warriors as the best team in the, in the NWA. They're, they're like the new big thing. And rightfully so. When you're tossing people around and killing them the way they do, you can't help but get noticed. And they're so different than what the Road Warriors are. The Road Warriors are just... Oh! What the... Oh! Tombstone pile driver by Danny is, Spivey. Spivey's like, that's what you get, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> no protection oh, either. Man. He just dropped it. No. <laughs> it's great. This is pretty much it for the skyscrapers, ain't it? Yeah, and they it's have that... They have that um... Clash 10. No, well, I mean, for Spivey and Sid, this is it outside of their their one-off at Starcade 90, whatever whatever that was about. Yeah. Yeah, because I know Undertaker talked about it after Clash 10. Spivey's like, I'm done with this shit and just up and left. Oh, there it is. Oh, wow. We haven't seen oh. that. Blockbuster suplex in months. Scotty's finally stopped doing it. To- to preserve his neck, but Sid eats it. And I, I, uh, I would have to imagine maybe that hurts Sid, but he's walking around pretty okay right now, so maybe not. Hard yeah, to say. Right. You got to think if, you're, if you fracture your ribs, you're going to feel it immediately, and you're going to be in some sort of anguish. Yeah, Sid's still running around, hopping around at this point anyway. But that was a nice combination of moves. Scott Steiner with a Frankensteiner on Spivey. And then the blockbuster suplex on Sid. These two giant guys are being tossed around by the Steiner brothers. Just shows you how strong they really are. Just, in, just insane, man. Yeah, and they say a lot. You know, you always hear the, the old saying, they don't know their own strength. I think the Steiners do know their own strength, and they use it time and time again in these <laughs> matches. Neither one of these skyscrapers want to be in the ring. <laughs> I don't well, you know, Sid doesn't for sure. And Dan's like, I've taken enough. I've been around the block. I've been wrestling for a few years. Your turn. They were both standing on the apron on the outside. Like, uh, and this five was like, Sid, it's your turn, buddy. Maybe there. That could be Sid missing that, uh, that flying shoulder in the corner. He likes to do. I don't know. He's still moving pretty good, but he went three days without even knowing his lung was punctured. So. Oh, Spivey missed that. Did you see that? That would have been an excellent move had it connected. Spivey was trying (laughs) to dropkick Scott in the back of the head. The clothesline connected, and that was bad enough. Ooh. Looking for another tombstone? My God, Spivey's just killing boys. I think he's going for that tilt-a-whirl side slam. I don't think Spivey knows what the hell he was going for there. There's a boot, though. I'll tell you what that is. (laughs) You can tell what he was going for that time. So Clash 10 happened before Wrestle War 90, right? Right. Had to have. Yeah, Clash 10's so either Spivey what, January, and February? Take work together. No, the, they had the dude under the hood at Wrestle Mike War, Enos. right? Yeah, my, Blake Beverly, yeah. Yeah, okay. So yeah, that is true. That's what Taker said. <laughs> After Clash 10, he's beating his shit out of the roadies, and then he went in the back and was like, I'm done with this shit, and his left. <laughs> Spivey was done. Steiner line, man. They're not fucking Ooh. around with these guys, man. They're they're saying what's no, up. They're not. And uh, skyscrapers really don't have much of an option but to take these moves. No wonder Spivey's done. Well, Sid didn't look like he wanted to take that, so he may already be hurt Ooh. here. 
Yeah, you see how he had his arms up over his. Oh, there it was. Yeah, he's he's yeah, holding but, it. He's whoa! Holding it. Wow! Did you see that? One of the Doom just hit the ring right, ran right into a Frankensteiner. So what the hell? But we got yeah, woman done, out here. Dude. We got Sid's done. Yeah, Sid's uh, kind of. He's favoring that rib bad. You see how he had his arms up like in a defensive position when he took that clothesline. Yeah, Sid's definitely hurt by now. And woman with the shoe, that would knock Hulk Hogan out in 1996. But Rick Steiner no-sells it. And she's fearing for her life in the corners. Rick's ready to pounce, I think. Maybe in more ways than one. <laughs> Rick has woman cornered. I don't know where all the heels are here. Well, here's who is this guy? It's, it's woman's bodyguard to the rescue. Another <laughs> third skyscraper, basically another seven near seven-footer. Uh, we'll learn that guy's name is Nitron. Of course, later on, he would actually team up with Vinny Vegas a little bit there. His big sky later on in, in WCW World. Went on to be a, it was. A, a movie star of sorts. Look at look at Sid. He's still look in there working, and the dude's injured as heck. Well, he's got to do his storyline. He's, you know, he's young still. He's a young pup at this point. As the roadies, even the odds, what a fucking wild. Look, look at, at this. Crowd. Look at this. Look at the teams wow. in the ring. The Steiners, the Road Warriors, the Skyscrapers, and Doom. Look at that shot there, man. Just a second ago when they had this shot, that whole crowd was jumping up and going nuts. Holy shit. And I know the spot was an afterthought, but it was really uh, intriguing there. uh, When Doom first hit the ring, I think it was Butch Reed, ran, slid in the ring as soon as he stood up, walked right into a Frankensteiner, which I thought was just tremendous. It was an excellent spot. But the Steiners yeah, will end up getting the win on a disqualification there. Match only went six minutes and eight seconds. It was a really fun match, just hard hitting both guys or both sides really you know, doing some fun moves. Obviously, no whirly birds or power bombs, but other than that, it was still fun. And then unfortunately, coming out of that, that's uh, the injury to Sid Vicious, the the fractured ribs, the the punctured lung, and Sid's done. That's our uh, unless he's got something taped in the bag already, that's the last we'll be seeing, at least live, of of Sid Vicious for the remainder of nineteen eighty nine anyway. But isn't he's who tags at Starcade? Is it Taker? No, they're removed. They're not in Starcade. They get uh, the SST replaced the skyscrapers. Ah, uh, okay. So we don't even oh, get you... the original planned team there. I got you. How long was Sid out for? I'm not sure when he exactly re oh when he returns. Um, good question. I mean, obviously he doesn't return until after the skyscrapers shit's over with. So he's out for a good little haul. Then he returns eventually as part of the Horsemen. Oh, yeah, he returns at one of those Worldwides. There's Hawk on the mic. I'm sure he's saying something fun. I'm sure he is. Obviously, for those who couldn't figure it out, that that eight-way brawl at the end of the the match was a prelude for Starcade. These were supposed to be the four teams in the round-robin tournament. As I mentioned, the skyscrapers get replaced... uh, by the SST because of Sid's injury. But man, look at those four teams. That was something else here in 1989. The tag team scene in both the WWF and NWA, man, they were something else during this period. Completely different, you know. Uh, you had a lot, a lot of workers in the NWA or the WWF. Like the Brainbusters, the Hearts, the Rockers, things like that. It's kind of funny. NWA, it's almost a reverse of, of what you might expect. Yeah. And and then the NWA, you had all the muscle guys and the suplexes and the 
just the sheer strength and brutality that these guys can bring. Um, outside of like the Midnights and the Dudes, you really don't have anything that resembles a team like the Hearts or the Rockers on the roster. Right. And I'm not saying the Dudes are even on that level. I'm just saying what you would think the Dudes would wrestle as. Right, you would uh, expect them to be a carbon it. copy of the Rockers to a degree, as far as wrestling goes. Which yeah, they're, they're not even exactly tenth ten percent. They're nowhere of, near that. Yeah, yeah, they're not no. even in, anywhere near. They're not the even Rockers. the new Rockers. No, they're not even a poor man's Rockers. rockers. <laughs> they're, they're like the poor, 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 poor man's poor man Rockers. Yeah. <laughs> flying no, Brian. Yeah, we're gonna There's see this flying Z Man. And- Things like that going forward. Yeah, all the young guys coming in, the the good-looking youngsters coming in. Jim Hurd wanted that youth movement, thought it would get more eyes on the TV set here, and uh, made a good choice uh, in flying Brian. Well, he did. I I can't say that Hurd was the one that hired uh, flying Brian, or uh, I don't know if he was scouting Stampede uh, Wrestling, but. The youth movement movement in general. Right, yeah. yeah. A lot of old guard here in the WWE in the nwa you know the roadie's been around a while uh flair funk steamboat those type of guys have been around for quite a long time so you need those younger guys to come in and fill out your roster to get them over and things like that here we go and this is the rematch from halloween havoc 89 where uh, the u.s champion lex luger pinned brian pillman clean with a hot shot and brian pillman wanted a rematch and because of the great job he did in that match the higher-ups, supposedly, in the NWA agreed. You want a rematch? You got it right here at the Clash. Lex Luger making that grand entrance down the steps with the pyro. This rope here is... I don't know, man. What's he going for here? Like uh, a, a Greek gladiator? Uh, yeah, it's something like that. Gladiator some something. Gladiator meets... Uh, I don't know what the hell it meets. I don't know what's gladiator going on with those uh, sleeves. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the sleeves. <laughs> I don't know either. I know that's his uh, Galoob UK exclusive figure that sells for quite a bit of money. That never got released here, unfortunately. But um, Luger looks like, what's that? Like made out of leather? Who knows with Lex Luger? What the hell that's, that <laughs> is? I I don't I don't even remember ever seeing this uh, gimmick again. Whatever the hell he's wearing here. I, this may be it. I don't know. I thought it was cloth. It looked like cloth from like the. He's on the cover of a wrap up wearing that magazine or that that wearing that magazine. Wearing, wearing that, a magazine. I don't want to see that magazine. Then I'll no, no, no. Like he's wearing that on the cover of the uh, wrap up magazine <laughs> for the program. I think it's November, or December. So I'm assuming. I think it's December. So I think it's uh, a picture from this show, and it looks like cloth, like a, a Ric Flair type robe. But that's clearly that's different. For sure. It's looking, Lex Luger. Looking forward to this. They're going to give this uh, this for free on TV after having the big match at the pay-per-view. We talk There's about... There's a giant uh, sheet over there in the lower left corner that said Lex Luger rules. No, I was not at this show holding up a sign. Okay. I, was like well, I did see the old, sheet. I had no idea so. what it said. There's Flying Brian will <laughs> rocket to victory. So there's a few signs here in Troy, New York. Fans bringing the signs. This is WWF country, so to speak, anyway. A rematch from Havoc, like there. I already they said. They didn't want to pay for it, right? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, I know, right? now. Yeah. <laughs> the fans are happy to be here, but they didn't have to pay for it. So I'd be happy if I got to come to this show and didn't have to pay for it. That'd be awesome. 
Oh, yeah, me too. Any wrestling show for free is decent. Such a quick boost to get to this feud. It only took a matter of a couple of weeks. Flying Brian accepting Lex Luger's uh, open challenge. Luger then saying, well, no, I got another match in the ring. Pillman talks to Richard Sartain, gets him to step down. They have a little tussle. Pillman clears Luger from the ring twice, humiliates him. Then the next week on TV, they replay the video, which humiliates Luger, pisses him off. So he comes out, beats the shit out of Gene Ligon, who gets his like first and only promo in the history of the NWA, and then attacks Brian Pillman during a squash match, and they have a wild brawl into a commercial break. And it only took those two weeks to really get things to a boiling point. I mean, I was excited as hell with the first week, but after the second week, they drove it home. It only took that much to really build the intrigue, and then having two talented guys like this in the ring, it doesn't hurt either. And, of course, they had the Havoc match, and here we are in match number two. So you, you said you read the the reviews uh, from the Observer. Do you know what rating this match got? Mm, I didn't pay attention, but I, I think it was a you know three three and something stars maybe. So he hasn't fell off the Lex Luger train just yet. <laughs> well, I mean, if he's going to have a good match, he's going to have a good match. I know he put over the Luger and Tommy Rich matches. Uh, probably, I think it was like the second best match on that clash. I know. I remember coming in like. I, 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 I'm thinking I'm going way back here to our very first episode uh, where um, we was talking about how they like Meltzer was defending Lex Luger after the, the Starcade 88 match with Flair and saying, if anybody tells you Lex Luger is not a good wrestler, then they're lying to you. Um, so he was on the train, the Lex Luger train, at least in 89. And it's hard not to be, to be honest with you, man, outside of the main event feuds with Flair and Steamboat and Flair and Funk, Lex Luger has been the best in all of 89. And that's not just me as a fan. I just think once he turned heel and he became himself, he's just been next level. Uh, he's right there where he needs to be. It's just unfortunate that Flair is always the heel. <laughs> and when Luger challenged him, he was always the good guy. And that, it never worked out. So, Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm looking it up here. And it looks like... Uh... DeMeltz gave this match three and three-quarters stars, so damn near a four-star match, and I believe this is a higher rating than the one from Havoc by DeMeltz as well, if I'm not mistaken. Let me go back and check that. Yeah, he gave that one only two and a quarter stars. He really wasn't really a big fan of the Havoc match. This one he gives almost damn near double, so he's a fan of this one. Probably, the, well, I don't know if it can't be the crowd because that Philly crowd was awesome for Havoc, so... um who knows? We'll see. I guess we'll see when this one's over. Yeah, that crowd, actually, it was scary if you watched this show with the audio. As the show got going, the crowd, this Troy, New York crowd, was kind of dead for the first couple of matches. Obviously, the Freebirds involved in the first match, and I can't even remember back to the second. What, what, uh, what match was number two on the show? <laughs> but it was during that Cornette match, that Dudes and Midnight's match. Somewhere in the middle of that, the crowd woke up, and they just kept going. And then that, that you heard them during the turn. The cornet turned on the dudes. Obviously, they were awake by then, and I think they've been pretty good ever since. Luger being cautious here. He doesn't want to lose the belt. He knows Brian. He beat Brian Pillman. He welcomed the rematch because he, he knows he can beat him, and he thinks he's in a you know, higher league, obviously, than, than the youngster Brian Pillman. But at the same time, he knows it only takes one simple mistake. And three seconds later, like last time, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the gist of it. 
Nick Patrick. Uh, the second match was uh, Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert versus Doom. No wonder you didn't remember. <laughs> um, well, that also that also explains why the crowd was still dead. Yes, absolutely. But like you said, man, they've been they've been on it um, ever since. Pillman, no, 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 go with the O'Connor rolling right back out, right where the wasn't that where the table was? So the table's no longer the table there. Was. That would have been another guy who, wow, nice spin kick Ooh. by Pillman there. So that would have been a third or fourth guy now that would have landed on that table. Yeah, outside of that you know, that table, you know, if it was there for a spot, which obviously it's not there anymore. If it wasn't there for a spot, I have no idea what it was there for to begin with. It's obviously not there for Jim Ross and Gordon Soley. So no. uh, if it's really not there for any reason, well, A, I have no idea why it's why it got put there. And B, it's Just a good call that like, somebody said, well, fucking move it. Yeah, I wonder if they made it to be like the timekeeper's table. Um, you know, Capetta and those guys can sit there. But it doesn't look – they were like off in the corner. Just like kind of out of the way, so – yeah, they didn't really give those guys tables a whole lot back then to work with. Pillman going straight up top. Missile dropkick. Nice one, right on the money. Watch the face, I'm sure the total package is telling him right now. <laughs> Pillman lighting Luger up. I, I'm sure if we had the audio, but Pillman... You know, Ric Flair has some of the nastiest chops in the business. He learned from Wahoo, who had definitely some of the nastiest chops in the business. But Pillman's maybe nastier, more aggressive, and louder than Ric Flair's ever were. Really nasty. And if I remember correctly, I think this is the match where he lights Luger's chest up. I think by the end of this match, Luger's chest is just uh, ridiculous. He's already bleeding. He's already bleeding on his chest. He yeah, Pillman's, <laughs> Pillman's you don't hear a lot one. of people talk about Pillman's chops, but it's easily some of the nastiest chops you've ever heard, ever. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what I was watching, but one of them was saying, like, it sounded like a, a thunder went off when you hit him. Yeah, it's definitely so, like, a, yeah, I, I would go. It's uh, pretty is. nasty. I'm surprised Lex has taken this. I'm sure he wasn't happy with the way, way he looked after the match. Hey, we got to have a talk, kid. You can't be doing this to this. Pillman get another shot. <laughs> can't be doing this to this six foot four, two hundred and seventy five pound, five uh, percent uh, body fat, whatever the hell else he says in his promos. The total package. Well, you told me to stay away from the face, Lex. So where do you want me to hit you? <laughs> Nowhere, Pillman. <laughs> <laughs> Just work the arm like Tommy Rich, Brian. Come on. And that's what he's you know, doing right now, <laughs> actually. Slowing things you know, down. We, <laughs> Lex is like, take a break, man. You know, we was saying Lex was probably mad that he had to work with Tommy Rich all summer. No, he wasn't. He oh, knew he wasn't okay. going to get hurt. He didn't have to do anything. And, and he's got a guaranteed contract. For like 15 <laughs> minutes. So Yeah, and he's got a guaranteed probably, contract to make him more money than oh, almost everyone. Look at that. Lex playing to the crowd, having a little fun. Ooh. <laughs> he already has that well. Yeah. Good night. Yeah, Pillman lights him up here. Flying Brian. Ah, uh -uh, brother. Oh, I wish you would have done it. That would have been awesome. Pillman had taken that bump for him. Nick Patrick says, don't throw him out. So Luger just dumps him back in the middle of the ring. 
posing for the fans who seem to be Lex Luger fans. A lot of, a lot of clapping and saluting to, to Luger out there in the crowd. He's an overheel because I think the most overheels are typically the ones that you can tell are natural. Yeah, they're not yeah. just believable. They really are who their character is, I think. And that's what gets them so over in that heel character. It's just, this guy's a dick, but he's a real dick. So that, that's funny. So I, I support that. <laughs> I like him. He's an asshole. He's going to treat me like shit, but I don't care because he's honest about it. <laughs> so, it's almost like that uh, Kurt Angle easy. syndrome, you know, where you can say whatever you want and they're still going to pop. Reminds me of that promo yeah. with Kurt Angle, where if I could go back in time, I would go back to <laughs> go back and uh, <laughs> put Jesus Christ break his ankle, and the and crowd still pop, and then the crowd pops, and he tells them they're sick. <laughs> so, just proving a point. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, Undertaker did that once. <laughs> I, have you seen that? I don't know if it even made air, if it if it was the outtake or. Something, but he's cutting a promo and he's like, if you guys say what again, you have sex with your sister or something like that. And the whole crowd just says what? And I'm like, what the hell is the undertaker doing? Right. It was, it's funny. I think it's out there on the internet, but, um, to some guys, you, like you said, when it's believable and you can just sense what they are or who they're portraying is who they are. I think it really, it goes a long way. They can see through the bullshit. Yeah, and I think, I think when if you pose the question to Lex, Lex, can I have your autograph? No, you can't. I think he really means it. I think he he really when he said that we go back to that promo, probably the greatest promo of the year. Um, when he said that, it just exuded realism. Like he he was so relieved that he no longer had to sign autographs. <laughs> He'll sign all your autographs. Oh, now. I like that. I like that. Bucks. Lex with a big move. Pillman quick, immediately with a roll-up because Lex didn't get the win. Lex walked away. There's a power slam. And he doesn't go for the cover again. And right again, r- really good storytelling here by Pillman. Well, if you're not going to cover me, I'm going to cover you. Another roll-up from behind another schoolboy. I bet you Gordon's selling this really good on commentary. Ah, uh-uh, there's that damn Lex Luger. Well, the, the selling point for Gordon was their discipline, and he took it back to their football careers, how Luger oh got kicked God. off everything Luger's he was ever chest. on. And, right. And then Pillman obviously was a gunner on the special teams and the kamikaze unit that they call it, and you got to be disciplined for that. And so if you like that correlation between real sports and wrestling – Gordon's probably really putting it over about how Luger's undisciplined here and not going for the cover after big moves, but Pillman is, and he's taking advantage of it. So Brian Pillman going up top, looking to win the belt. What are we going to get here? Cross body. Oh, Nick Patrick in the way. Uh, now, why would you stand there, Nick Patrick? Pillman comes off with a top rope body block onto Luger, but lands on Nick Patrick as well, and Patrick is out cold, of course, from the, from the cross body. Pillman going to check over on sure. Nick Patrick and I'm sure we'll have time to talk about this at the end, but I'm already like the pattern I don't like about this show already is just like the non finishes. It feels like they're using it to get ready for Starcade. But Starcade's a tournament. So all the storylines kind of come to a halt and it's just a tournament. So it feels like they're doing all this for nothing. 
Luger bumps it, to the it, floor here. You see there you see what they did there. Pillman with two covers on Luger, but the referee's out, so technically Pillman could have won the title twice, theoretically. Oh, he's got a chair. Let's listen to this. Gary Capetta's chair. Oh, God. Good Lord. He just cracked. Flying Brian is knocked out. The referee is groggy. Luger crawls like he's in pain. He just knocked Pillman out. And Luger has won it. I should say he has stolen it. And look at that. Lex, you hear the crowd. It's clear they're 50-50 here. Luger's is over as Flying Brian. So no disrespect. It's not like Brian Pillman's the dudes. They love Flying Brian, but they love them some Lex Luger as well. So it's kind of 50-50. They, and that chair shot was nasty. Nick Patrick is shoved yeah, down was. again. And I agree with you. There's a lot of this run-ins on this show, a lot of disqualifications on this show. But it's a free show. So, I mean, you, there's, they have that argument going for them. I don't necessarily buy into that. I get not it's free doesn't mean you shouldn't. Every match doesn't need to be like it. this, right? And this, there was a finish here, no. and there was a heel cheating to win. So technically, it's in the uh, realm of normal normal uh, finishes for a heel here. As Luger racks Pillman post match. Yeah, I think this this match is fine. I'm cool with this one just because Pillman is that over as a singles. You don't want to bury him Uh-oh. completely by losing twice to Luger. We got oh, Stinger. Stinger in the ring, going to show down with Lex Luger. Of course, they're both part of that Iron Man tournament, if you will, at the Starcade pay-per-view. Oh, Lex has got something oh. to say to Stinger. Let's see what he's talking about. It's about time you finally have the guts Listen to that crowd. Talk about uh, an over <laughs> Lex Luger, over Sting as well. So the crowd was totally supportive of Luger. Sting gets in the ring and slaps Lex. Ow! Right in the schnoz! And Luger was not. Oh, Sting coming after Luger in the aisleway. <laughs> Lex, now he's going to go back check on Pillman. He got one shot in on, on total package. Luger teasing. Well, Sting sees him coming. Not going to happen. Guy's going to have to wait a few weeks till Starcade. So I gotta, I gotta ask you. Sting doesn't get injured. He wins the belt at Wrestle War against Flair. His first feud coming out is it Luger or is it just continue on with Flair? I don't because know what the plan would have been with, with Flair short term, but I think eventually would have done. They easily would have done the Luger thing because Jim Hurd was wanting to phase Flair out again. The youth movement and the body movement. Jim Hurd was all about trying to get eyes on the sets, kind of that Vince McMahon mentality to a degree. So yeah. uh, he, he wanted to phase Luke, uh, Flair out of that main event. So I have no so, doubt 
uh, Luger would have eventually been in that position, and it would have been great. Uh, I can imagine what they would have had Luger doing. Uh, it's a, it's unfortunate that he was, and I get why they had to do it. They had nobody else uh, when they randomly abruptly yeah. turned Luger face. I'm just shaking my head now because that sucks. <laughs> I can, I'm just thinking of the feud. Like it's going to be a six month feud. Yeah, Luger, uh, clearly the most overheel at this point. I, I mean, Funk's over, Muda's over, but I don't know that they're Lex Luger over with the fans, noise-wise, I mean. No, I don't think so either. And St- He's been calling Sting, like, he's been calling all the big names, and obviously with Flair, Luger never gets another shot with Flair. So, um, him, Sting getting that belt, like, Luger's been calling for him all of 89. Like, where you at, guys? Where's the big names? Are they afraid to lose their reputation against the total package? Things like that. So, Sting's been on his name. And like you said here, you finally come to meet me face-to-face. You finally got the courage, so to speak. So Was there, was there, the a, murder, was there a murder in this room that Ric Flair's cutting a promo in right now? What the hell is going on on that wall behind the Nature Boy? Blood like splattered everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like some cheap paint. Looks like they're in a bathroom <laughs> stall or some shit. <laughs> Have the time of your life on the Bruce Cruise. The bathroom on the Bruce Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Right. Nature Boy getting ready. This is it. The time for talking is all done for these two. It's been going on since Wrestle War way back in May. The beginning of May 1989. So over six months ago. This whole thing started between Funk and Flair when Funk slapped Flair, pile drove him on the table, and basically put Flair out of action for two and a half months while the Funker wreaked havoc all over the rest of the NWA. Flair returned. They had that wild match at Great American Bash, and then the big tag match at Halloween Havoc. Of course, in between there, Flair, Funk tried to suffocate and murder Ric Flair at the last Clash of the Champions. But you see the Nature Boy still alive, still kicking. And here we go. It's been all, it was all about the title when this thing started. And now it's just all about pride. And I don't remember who said it, but someone pointed out that this whole thing started with a handshake way back at Wrestle War. And tonight it's promised to end with a handshake. How apropos. The fucker being led down by some fake cowboys in the background. I don't know about this. Some ranch hands. They're holding their six-shooter, too, right? Maybe Bunkhouse Buck? <laughs> Bunkhouse Buck. Where's Dirty Dick Slater when you need him? Uh, he's over in Japan for the all-real-world tag team tournament. So Dick Slater's gone <laughs> from the... Uh, Dick Slater, though, getting replaced by uh, Mr. J, who will eventually become the Dragon Master here, Kendo Nagasaki. DeMeltz reports that this Flair and Terry Funk main event was viewed in approximately 3.2 million homes. That's over 7 million viewers, which in a manner of speaking would make it the most watched match in the history of cable television. The USA Network's Royal Rumble special in January of 1988 also drew just under 3.2 million homes. So yes, it does even beat out the Royal Rumble main event. The final match was, uh, this match, uh, being the final match, was very close to, if not the most watched pro wrestling match ever in the entire United States live, with the exception of the two NBC Friday main event specials that have aired up until this point. And obviously the other Saturday night main events that have aired on NBC, because obviously there's no doubt that TBS can't compete with 
broadcast television NBC. So other than Saturday night's no. main event, this match right here is the most seen match in the history of wrestling, at least up to this point on free TV. Free cable TV. Yeah. What did, what did, uh, Hogan Andre get like 18 million viewers or something, 13, something ridiculous. Right. Whew. For the contract signing. And, uh, uh, no, I mean, no, uh, no, for, no. for their match. Yeah. Yeah. For the main event match. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's un that's unthinkable. <laughs> 13 million people. I know it's on broadcast TV and it's, it's way more eyes on the sets. Cable wasn't yeah, even, you know, yeah. Still, man. Could you imagine 13 million people? Holy shit. Watching wrestling, whatever that share is. I got to say, that's peak WWF, though, because I had a lot of family that knew all about that era and, and never watched wrestling prior to that or ever again after that mega powers explode, you know, and all that. They know they knew every they I remember I had aunts and uncles that told me George Steele's um, little Muppet thing <laughs> was called mine. They didn't even watch wrestling, but yet they knew what George Steele's toy his stuffed animal was called. That's how big wrestling really was in the, the late 80s there. So, yeah, Hogan and Andre, the Mega Powers exploding, that whole era was just huge. And then NBC, of course, capitalized on that very wise. Well, I think they helped Vince a lot, too, being on there. They made WWF more big oh, time. Yeah. So they kind of helped each other. Absolutely. And it's kind of like the Attitude Era. I know it's not relevant to this era that we're watching, but. That's how it is, man. All those people, like all those fans uh, that were Attitude Air fans, they didn't, they never really watched it before. They didn't watch it afterwards. And they, that's the, that's kind of what's missing. Um, I don't know if he's going to pick this up, but nah, it's, uh, it's kind of like what's him. missing. He's reminding Flair the winner of this uh, match uh, or the loser of this match has to shake the hand of the winner of this match. But there's nothing that cultivates the imagination of the of the general public when it comes to wrestling. And I don't I don't know if we ever will. I think there's so much bad negativity around the WWE right now that I don't know if they can overcome it. And then AEW is just more independent indie type wrestling that is not going to catch on mainstream. I, right. I don't think yeah. it's that niche audience, right? Yep. So, and right away, Rick Flair with a big stuck. chop sends Woo. the Funker to the floor. And Funk already come in with his wrestling boots on. Holy shit, he falls into the crowd. <laughs> Look uh, at that fan, dude. That fan I love is it. loving it. He's dying laughing that he fell over. <laughs> Terry Funk being Terry Funk right out of the gate. You already know you're going to get a good match. Terry Funk already on, oh, yeah. <laughs> already on the game. So, yeah, this match was outside of network TV, outside of NBC. This match has the highest rating ever. Up to this point, and probably for some time to come, I'd imagine. I'm trying to think what the next big free TV match would be that would draw something like this, and I just can't come up with it on, on cable. I mean, I I have no idea. Ooh, what was it? nasty! Chops. Three and a half. What was it? How many million? Uh, let me scroll. I have the notes here. Three and three point two million homes, which equates to roughly seven million viewers, based on how many people were watching in each home. So they're basically saying two people per home. Yeah, roughly. Yeah, I think one of those, one of those, some of those raws had to have had that. 
when they were pulling in like eight ratings. Oh, sure, sure. But I mean, here way back in this period, 1989, and even oh, yeah, the next no, several years. Nothing. Nothing. This is it. This might be peak NWA as far as the clash goes. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, I, they didn't really like. I know, unless it was just based on, you know, what was going on, I can't see Clash 10 doing a number like this. Without, I, I can't no. say that for sure, but I just knowing the card. That tag match in the cage isn't going to move and move the needle. Not with the guys in that cage <laughs> on the no. heel side, anyway. Yeah, there's no Terry Funk, so the world that can help. And this is what no, we've talked about all. Can only do so much, right? And this is what we've talked about all year long. These guys came to fight, not wrestle. As the Funker and Flair's oh, yeah. chops and punches, tackles and beatings and stomping head. Right, table's back. The table's back. How interesting that the table's back. Somebody said, eh, put it away till the main event. That's when this, we're doing the spot. It's crazy to notice little things like that. <laughs> They're <laughs> not giving any. Like two matches. Not, yeah, not giving anything away. No. Nah, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't fake. Come on, guys. This isn't scripted. <laughs> I do want to pick up some audio here later in the match. So when we get close to it, I'll, I'll mention that. It's, uh, you know, the the big line from Gordon this match, the, one of the more memorable one-liners in the history of the business. And uh, we'll pick that up when we get there. It's still a bit of ways, so no big deal right at this moment. These guys just knocking the piss out of each other, selling and just beating the living crap out of each other right here, giving everybody their money's worth that came to see this and, even the people that got free tickets. Can you imagine you got a free ticket to watch one of the most iconic matches in wrestling lore history? I know. I don't even think they realize that you, you, you don't live for the future when you're in the moment. Like you don't understand, or you may, if you're, if you're smart enough, you may process what's going on, but you never know what this match is going to mean 15 years from now or what people are going to think of it later on. So some of these people may just be like, yeah, it's just another Terry Funk, <laughs> Ric Flair match. Who cares? Um, but now, obviously, hopefully they realize that they were in there for something special. A reminder, this is I quit rules. So that's why they're fighting in the aisle way without being counted out by Tommy Young here. Terry Funk grabbing that mic. Mike, Terry Funk, I haven't seen this match in a long time, but I was always really a big fan of the way he worked the mic here in this match. I hate uh, you know, some of the other matches, like when Roddy Piper has the mic during that Bretton oh, Backlund shit fest. Uh, but I'm not a big fan of, you know, the wrestler holding the mic during the I quit gimmicks. But uh, I thought they Funk did a really good job in this match. He did it just the right amount of times. And it made look at that WWF LJN figure there. Terry Funk glued to a, uh, a poster. <laughs> Cardboard sign, huh? Complete with the hat and brain. Yeah, there. I was going to say, look it's at that. He even good. had the uh, accessories. That thing looked brand new. Yeah, my Terry Funk has no accessories anymore. <laughs> that place is empty, man. Look at that back there. No yeah. seat. Seats are empty. At least that's on the side with the hard camera. You can't see. Well, you can see it right now, but you can't see it for most of the show. Funker yeah. has Flair bent backwards in the corner, asking him to quit, but Flair's not going to give it up just that easy. Remember, Flair can give it up here without a problem because the belt's not on the line. But his pride is on the line, and he won't give it. A, he won't call it quits. Yeah, I thought that was a great caveat. He's like, "I'm done chasing the belt. 
I'm I'm done with that. I just want your pride at this point. Like I'm tired of you. That sort of deal. So I think that's a great added stipulation because I think if Terry Funk lost again, going for the belt, like he's devalued. But here it's just more a fight. It's more personal, like they right. said. Yeah. yeah, it's a fight. And ooh, nice this neck is what I wish, there by the Funker. Uh, this is what I wish the Rick Rude Jake Roberts feud was. I mean, you're trying to steal his girl and. You go in the ring and you do arm bars and headlocks for 15 minutes and it's boring uh, as shit. You don't even fight. Very little punches thrown. These dudes are yeah, just those... beating the hell out of each other. And this is <laughs> this is what you expect. Funk slapping Flair. Flair grabbing Funk by the throat. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, a spot. Boom. More nasty chops by the Nature Boy. Not to be outdone by Brian Pillman or the Funk. Bumping like Funk. It's only he can't. Rick Flair was going to ride him down. Oh, Funker goes falling over a chair. I don't know what they were going for there, but oh man. <laughs> Funk didn't want to know part of it. Yeah, he was like, I don't know what you're about to do, so I'm just going to go over here. Chopping the Funker over the railing. Boom! Big shot. And <laughs> seesaws him back over. Oh, swings at Doug Dillinger there. <laughs> Good old Doug Dillinger. Uh oh. Here we go. Chair we're got ready. moving that table. Must be getting close. If they don't use that table at all, they really played me for a fool. Either that or they just forget <laughs> to use it. <laughs> right. Or they get told not to. I could see Jim Cornette pulling that. Hey, you know what would be funny? All those smart mark assholes. Uh-oh, Gary Hart getting in the way and Flair giving him some. Why is Tommy Young stopping him? Well, I mean, he's trying to let these two fight it out, Gary. That doesn't mean Gary Hart can just get up in there. If that's the case, then everybody should just come running down right now. <laughs> I don't want to see Gary Hart in here. He's done enough ad-libbing getting involved in shit, and then he doesn't want to sell or bump for anyone. <laughs> it's Gary Hart, man. Well, you know, Gary also always blamed that plane crash for a lot of, you know, the reason why he can't really sell or bump. And But every once in a while, you go watch Gary. Every once in a while, not very often, a couple times a year, for the right guy, he takes a bump. I've seen him he do it for the crash as well. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he was in the the big plane crash with uh, Austin Idol, and uh, that that troop. It was the other plane crash, no basically. Idea. Yeah. Gotcha. There was the Ric Flair one, and then the uh, the other one, and another neckbreaker is Funk going after the neck now of Ric Flair. Let's let's pick up the audio here, because I think it's coming. You remember the Ric Flair. You remember your neck? Don't you want to quit before I hurt you? This is so unique. What a novel match. Now, camera's taking you inside the ring where you can actually hear these guys. You'll be able to hear one of them say, I quit. You want to quit, Flair? You won't say it. Not now. No. No. Flair says no. Man, this is brutal. This is so physical. Five letters, two words. So profound there by Gordon. So simple. Five letters, two words. I quit. And that makes the match. That's the sound bite that makes this match. Yeah. uh, That's all it is. I mean, that's... 
Funker now going right on that neck of Flair dropping the pile driver. Yeah, you ask about that plane crash, and then here we pick up audio, and Funk reminds Flair of his plane crash. <laughs> and remember the neck. You don't want me to put you out permanently. You'll have to quit, and Flair just won't give it a quit. Call it quits here. But in regards to Gary Hart's, yeah, it was a it was pretty mainstream as well uh, with Austin Idol on there. It's kind of why Austin Idol changed his his style and his gimmick and, and trimmed down and got the Austin Idol gimmick and Buddy Colt, uh, who had to retire, who was one of the top heels of his era in Florida at that point, had to retire from the, the ring because of that and basically went on to commentary with Gordon some there down in Florida and that uh, took the life of uh, Bobby Shane, who was a really up and coming heel, was said to be probably the next big thing as far as heels go. Um, very flamboyant character. He was uh, under the tutelage of Eddie Graham as far as learning how to book. Uh, the sky was the limit, they say. And Jerry Lawler got the King gimmick from Bobby Shane. Actually, Bobby Shane gave Lawler oh. one of his uh, King outfits. That's how Lawler started. And Lawler was supposed to give it back or pay him back or something. And then Bobby Shane died. And Lawler uh, never got to pay him back. Um, but that's where the King gimmick came from. Lawler stole it. Well, he didn't steal it. It was, it was given to him. I'm sure he cherishes it. <laughs> as Gary Hart wipe, wiping from. the sweat off of Terry Funk as they're fighting back into the aisle here. You better quit. Flair. Down on the floor. Yeah, I know. Nasty. And Ric Flair's the world champion, so he's still a fighting man. He's getting up from a pile driver on the floor. Just be- so a pile driver on the table took him out for two and a half months, but a pile driver on the concrete floor, and Ric Flair's right back at it. <laughs> Because so what wrestling. injuries did Gary Hart get? Is his back, his legs? Or? I don't remember all the the details of all the you know injuries. He, he lists some pretty detailed in his book. Though Austin Idol's went on record. Austin Idol has went on record, um, stating some of the the discrepancies and and uh, some of the injuries that at least that he stated Austin Idol suffered. But you know how these guys work, man. They they tell stories the way they remember them. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's anybody. I expect nothing less from a wrestler. But hey, man, if I could use an excuse not to bump, but to stand out there and say <laughs> stupid shit on promos and look like you're a mob hitman, then let's do oh, it. There's, here's let's the do table. The same, there's the spot. Slammed him on the table. He's, oh, he's pulling it out. I don't know if that's the spot, but. No, but the table's coming in, in, into the... Clearly, <laughs> it was there to be for a reason. What is he doing with it's it? It's kind of like the Spanish announce table, huh? Yeah, there oh, for, that, for a long period of time. Nothing good going to come out of uh, a table set up like that. Nothing good is going to come out of that. Nah, it doesn't look very safe. I want one of those legs jamming up my back. Yeah, I don't need to be impaled by a table leg. <laughs> what a way to What a way to go. Speaking of, uh, well, that's a bad segue, but hopefully Terry Funk's doing okay. I know there was some uh, rumors and speculation a little bit. He's been kind of weird on Twitter telling people to stop sending him pictures, which I, oh, I, I get man. it. You know, oh, <laughs> nasty dive. I, I know yeah. he's not I doing too well. I know he's hurting, man, and uh, you know, arthritis and pain, and he can't sit there and keep oh, signing oh, autographs. What? what a lovely, lovely <laughs> dive. He went surfboarding across the table and a chair. Flair and Gary Hart's like, get the fuck. That's a shoot. Get out of my way, bitch. Like, I'm trying to do shit here. 
<laughs> dropping dust the elbow baby on Gary Hart. Gary, Gary Hart no selling. Like, how dare you put me on the ground? That's a guy that's been injured, you know. See how quick he popped up off the <laughs> – Flair <laughs> throws Gary Hart out of the way. He's over – standing over top of Funk, and Flair's trying to work a match here. They only got so many minutes. Remember, they're on TV. They have to end this thing in a certain amount of time. Uh, he's going to crotch him on the guardrail. That's one way to get you to quit. Oh, my nuts. But yeah, Funk is one of those guys you email him an eight by or mess, uh, mail him an eight by ten and give him your return address. He'll sign it and send it back. But he's clearly at a stage in his career where he's done doing that. And I get it. If you know you can do it and you still do it, that's kind of shitty because you're just trying to get something for free from him. So you could probably sell it on eBay for fifty bucks or something. Um, give the man some money. <laughs> Drop the knee. Boom. Nice. Classic Ric Flair there. Vintage Ric Flair, as Michael Cole would have said at one point. <laughs> Funker just crawls out of the ring. I'm not quitting. I think you went head first into a chair out there. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. He's overselling the shit out of all of this, but it, it's not even, it doesn't even look like it's overselling. No, it's great. Uh, it's what's so great about that Terry Funk. Sense, it's just, uh, he makes it look so natural and fluid that, yeah, he's sliding all the way across the table on his own and going head first into a chair, but at the same time, he makes it look good. Yeah, it's not like natural. It doesn't look like Shawn Michaels overselling Hulk Hogan. No. I mean it's just yeah, when no, Terry no, does it, it just not. looks like Yeah, okay, I bought that. I, I believe he slid it's well, like uh like Roadhouse, man, sliding across a <laughs> a bar or something. <laughs> right. And I th- the other thing too is he sells everything that way. Oh. At the beginning of the match, at the middle of the match, the end of the match, he sells really nice. the whole time this way. Yeah, he's great. So you can't say he's doing one thing over the other. Like, Even right there, Ric Flair laying those chops and doing the spins just looks natural. I lo- watched it. Look at the way Terry Funk is selling the kicks to his knee. He's not just grabbing his knee or hopping up and down. He's buckling his leg inward. It looks so realistic like he's take, taking his knee out of joint or something. A really great job as it looks like this may be – coming close to the end if flair wants that i love this look at this funk knows what flair is wanting to do and he's trying to run away down the aisle flair <laughs> grabs that leg looks like he's going to go for the figure four the first thing terry does is crawl out of the ring and hobble not run hobble away look at this flair going to carry him back boom shin breaker back at ringside softening funk up looking for that figure four that might be the end if he can get it on. This crowd has definitely come alive. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell there. Fans. How can you not? Skyscrapers and Steiners, Pillman Luger, Flair Funk, all in a row. Sign me up. Suplex Funker back into the center. Purpose, per- perfect positioning. He's, he's looking. He said, yeah, that's it. We're going to see if he can get it on. Wise decision, Flair books here. No Mr. J, no Dragon Master out here, no overbooking on the outside. Wanted to make this all about himself and Terry Funk. And Funker to the eyes. That's the way it should be. Yeah, let's do anything to get back in this. Terry Funk, one last surge of energy, one last burst. Let's see if he can go at the Nature Boy. Wow. 
Funk takes a suplex to the apron. <laughs> he looks like a, a beaten down man right here, but he's still in this. Flair just relentless on the leg. Flair's just relentless, period. This last four or five minutes or so, he's just going at him. No, they're not. They haven't stopped. Have they stopped at all? No, there's <laughs> there's been no resting in this match. It's just been a nonstop drag out fight. And there it is. The figure four. We'll pick up some audio here, see what happens. That puts pressure on five different points. The pain is intense. I never. Yeah, we're liable to hear a leg snap, too. He's got that thing locked completely in. He's got it deep, deep in there. Gordon, have you ever seen anybody last this long in the figure four? It can be reversed. It can be reversed. Yes, I quit. He said it. He said it. And that's it, man. That concludes uh, an epic six-month feud between the Nature Boy. Well, Gary Hart yelling at Terry Funk. This is the first documented submission by Terry Funk that I can think of. And he straight up quits here uh, to prevent his leg from breaking. As Gary Hart. What do we got going on here? Well, this is Terry Funk telling Ric Flair that he's a man of his word. He told him that he would shake his hand if he lost the match. Gary Hart telling him, you better not shake his hand. Shoving Terry Funk now. What are you crazy? Don't Funk shoves Gary Hart back. This is between these two. Funk promised and he keeps his word. He's a man of his word. Shakes the hand of the nature boy. And Gary Hart pops Terry. Look at Terry Funk selling for Gary Hart. Goes down to a shot, I think, in the leg there. And now Ric Flair coming to the <laughs> rescue of Terry Funk. Just like that. A man who tried to take you out of the business, tried to murder you, and now, oh, it's Muda, who wasn't even on the card. Attacking the nature boy. Gary Hart's selling over there. Yeah, Mr. (laughs) J, who will be the dragon master here very shortly. Muda and Kendo Nagasaki working over the nature boy. Terry Funk down with the bad leg. That despicable Gary Hart. So they turn in funky uh, face on his way out, which is great. He deserves it. Evening the odds is the Stinger coming in. Kendo into the corner. Stinger splash on Mr. J. Stinger splash. I get it, but come on, man. And the Scorpion. (laughs) I think they're going to do double submissions here. Is that where we're going to get? Ric Flair with a figure four on Muda. Sting with the Scorpion on Mr. J. And for good reason, too. This sets up the next spot with both guys' backs turned to the aisle way. Late as ever. Here you see him on the outside. Lex Luger fighting. Yeah, the fan was preventing Lex Luger from stealing the chair, but now he returns. Chair to Sting. And Ric Flair coming after the total package now. Luger wants no part of this. Luger wants no part of selling this. Boom, Muda with the chair. And in case you can't count. So this is the push uh, Starcade, right? Right. What are the odds that all four tag teams wound up in the ring? And now we have Muda and Luger and Flair and Sting all in here at the same time as well. The four men who will be working the, the singles round, Robin. It's Starcade as the heels uh, do a number on everyone while Gary Hart's over there with Terry Funk. 
obviously Terry Funk, the odd man out here as this is, this is it for the Funker. As far as wrestling goes in this run in the NWA, he, he knew it by this point, but he didn't know that this was supposed to be it. It was informed to him by Jim Hurd that, that he was retiring. They were, he was being forced into retirement. Terry Funk didn't even realize that this was supposed to be the end of his career. But he follows along and collects the paycheck as he moves on to doing some commentary with Chris Cruz on Worldwide, at least. And probably some other when things When does he start well. that? When I don't does he think do pay-per-views? I know he does WrestleWar. Um, I think he does Starcade. Um, the singles that's matches, I was wondering right? If he did Starcade. Yeah, Corny commentates the tag matches with Jim Ross, and I think Funk does the singles matches with Jim Ross, which makes sense. And Luger, look at him with JTEX here. Could have become uh, LexTex or JLex. No, Lex would have wanted his name first, so Lex J. <laughs> oh, he just walks off without him. I don't. That'd have been interesting. Oh, he's going to the other one. Oh, there goes the. Oh, trophy. he's busting and the, the trophies. There it and is. The, the she. And that's the end of the trophies as well. That won, were won by Sting and Luger. Just to finish it and finalize it and send it home. Drive the point home that Lex Luger is just a total fucker. He go after he attacks everyone in the <laughs> ring. He pins Brian Pillman, and now he goes and destroys the trophies given by PWI. Lex Luger has. Uh, become a one-man show here tonight, but that match was a one-match show. Um, not not taking anything away from the, the, the Steiners and Skyscrapers was fun, even given the finish. Pillman and Luger was was great, but this match stole the I show. So I mean, as it should have. Oh, what know. a what a tremendous what a great match! Flair checking on Stinger in the ring, and that's another one in yeah, the books. I that's mean, our last clash of 1989, and it did not disappoint, especially this main event. Well, the main event didn't disappoint. The last three matches, the ones, the headliners, the ones that we wanted to see, um, definitely paid off, and they did it. Uh, did what they were supposed to do. Some of those other matches, they were kind of just thrown together. Uh, obviously, you don't want to give away your Starcade matches early, um, so I get why they held off on Doom and the Steiners again, things like that. But uh, to skip the first forty-five, well, thirty minutes, those matches went real quick. You gotta watch the dudes in the midnights just because of the 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 old switcheroo there by Cornette and the finish and just the right. culmination of a great story. Yeah, this is a three match card and this was uh, they were really good, especially the last two matches. Yeah, and the last match, uh, barring some neck breakers and pile drivers from the Funker and obviously the figure four, it wasn't very wrestling heavy, but man, I mm-hmm. emotionally invested into that. It was a, an emotional piece of art, is the best thing I can come up with calling it there, and easily a match of the year candidate. I mean, I have to sit down and think real quick because we're covering an entire year of wrestling, but I don't know if I was emotionally invested into anything more than this one. Yeah, I, I can see that. It's going to be tough to come up with uh, what I think is the match of the year for this one. You got I don't know if it's because we're here now and Steamboat and Flair seems like so long ago. That's how good Funk and Flair has been for the last six months. But man, those those Steamboat Flare matches, man, those are those are really tough. So I guess we'll see uh, when we get to what episode thirty-two. Uh, yeah. when we I go mean, I can't give that. any spoilers now. I do want to go back over my notes, and and <laughs> I can't say for sure. But I'm gonna guess that um, probably my match of the year is probably either it's probably gonna be a really tough decision between this one and probably the New Orleans uh, the New Orleans Steamboat and Flare match. Six. Yeah, 
Demeltz writes, as we're yeah. sending, Gordon and, and Jim Ross going to send us off here on The Clash. Demeltz writes about this show, the crowd was unresponsive for the first two matches, as I pointed out, uh, which made the matches come off flat on TV. Considering the Road Warriors ruined one of those matches, things didn't bode well for the rest of the card. Or so it seemed at that time, anyway. Truthfully, the card started out looking like a rerun of WrestleMania from Trump Plaza. And if, for those of you who don't know what Dave is referring to, the crowd's pretty much dead at those WrestleManias because they're not really wrestling fans. They're in there based uh, based on coming to the casino and tickets being given away by, by Mr. Donald Trump. Something the NWA couldn't ill afford at this time, which I agree with. They needed a real crowd here, especially for TV, especially for the turnout uh, for those watching on TV. But when Shane Douglas did a dive over the top rope onto Bob Eaton, I remember that spot, the crowd suddenly woke mm -hmm. up. The finish of the Midnight's Dudes match drew the biggest crowd pop, not only live, but probably in a few million homes watching on TV as well. I know I popped. It's probably my loudest pop of the night. From yeah, that, he's spot on. Dave writes, from that point on, the card sailed. Two outstanding matches with the Steiners and Skyscrapers and Luger and Pillman preceded the main event. Another in the long line of match of the year candidates for 1989. And I, I tend to agree. There's a lot of candidates. Ric Flair's involved in quite a few of the matches. Of course, look at his opponents. It's not all Ric Flair, but he's certainly involved no. in quite a few of them. That's for sure. And uh, just another yeah. one in the books. And what a show. What a show. Hour and 52 minutes. You know, it started off slow, uh, not just with the crowd, but with the matches given on the show. I get what they're trying to do here. They got to get the Road Warriors and all those guys over for the uh, in the Doom over and everybody. I sound like <laughs> Gordon Soley now, the Sting, the Doom. Uh, but getting the Roadies over, the Freebirds, and Doom over for Starcade makes sense. They weren't good matches, <laughs> but of course, they're wrestling yeah. the Freebirds and Tommy Rich and things. Um, then we get the Midnights and Dudes stuff, which, eh, for a match, whatever, but what a finish. To that one, Dr. Death gets a spot on the show. Why not? He's Dr. Death. And then we close out with those three big main event matches. So definitely a fun show overall. Yeah, it was definitely a good one. I'm not sure. It's it's maybe not one of my favorite clashes. I know it's one of the most popular just because of Flair Funk. For whatever reason, I still like seven. It's probably the worst one we watched all year outside of uh, six. Or, no, or five. Five, so. five, yeah. So... <laughs> I like seven still, but um, no, this was a good show. Funk and Flair getting the culmination, you know, shaking the hand, doing those things. Uh, the angle at the end there to get you ready for the next set of uh, TV and uh, I guess get ready for the next clash uh, since Starcase the tournament. And I get they were doing that too, but some of those guys aren't in there, like the man in black, Kendo Nagasaki and, and things like that. So obviously, yeah, they were pushing Starcase, but they're also pushing what the feud's going to be going forward. So, um, yeah, all in all, a really good show. I, I enjoyed the last few matches. Uh, the first two kind of stunk. Um, but after that, I, I agree with Meltzer. After that dive, the whole, the whole show just felt different. And that may be because we know what's coming in the dudes match uh, with the finish. So I was looking forward to seeing that. But that, that dive really kind of even got us going a little bit. Right. Thank you, Shane Douglas, for popping the crowd and getting everybody <laughs> up and going. Um, but uh, no, this is who thought show. that the dynamic dudes would be the people that, that got the crowd going. Amazing. <laughs> it wasn't the dudes, man. It was Shane Douglas. Give, give Shane Douglas his. Is I would. <laughs> Johnny well, Ace did nothing part, to help with that. Part of the dudes. I mean, they're a tag team, man. They do everything together. So when right. one guy succeeds, they both succeed theoretically anyway yeah <laughs> you you build it up and i'll knock it down 
That's not fair. Oh, That's not God. fair at all. <laughs> I'm going to Japan. Oh, man. See ya. We'll <laughs> get you some five-star matches, Johnny. So a fun show, <laughs> and you mentioned Starcade. We'll talk all about Starcade over the next couple uh, episodes of The Grenade. And then in three weeks' time, it's our final watch-along for 1989. Starcade, Future Shock, uh, featuring the Ironman tournaments, if you will. I'm going to play that one by ear. I'm not going to go on and on and on. I'm sure I will mention it over the next couple of weeks, how shitty the idea is. Uh, you can't really help but not mm-hmm. do that. But I think when we actually get to it, I'm not going to ruin the whole show by just simply crapping on the idea over and over and over again. I'm just going to compartmentalize each match and just kind of dissect each match and what was good and what wasn't good and how the booking went from that standpoint. There's, But I, I look forward to that because when we get to that, I do want a fantasy book what a real Starcade card might have looked like heading in. I have kind of an idea already of some of the things I would have liked to have seen anyway. Yeah, I will say, and to give them credit, it feels like this show was the finish to a lot of feuds. Uh, Funk and Flair is done. I would, I mean, I, I can see a rematch between Pillman, a third one, but at this point, I just don't know. And then obviously the skyscrapers and roadies and things like that, they're still going, I guess. But with Sid's injury, that kind of throws that out. So it, it almost feels like they, the whole year is done. So Starcade's kind of a throwaway show. All right, guys, it's the end of the year. Let's just give them something and we'll restart afterwards booking into january and february so right and of course the whole the whole round robin thing was jim hurd's idea nobody else wanted to do it they all wanted to have a uh, a typical starcade show a big giant starcade event but jim hurd wanted to do this round robin thing of course like i said we got three episodes to talk about it i won't dive into it too deep here uh but another one in the books only one watch long to go yeah and only yeah well we're in the middle of november so Next week, it's two more weeks. Uh, yeah, next week on the grenade, it's two more weeks of November 1989 TV. The following week, it's another two months of early December NWA TV. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> another two months. Oh, well. Oh, Lord. It's been a long night, huh? <laughs> and it's actually one of the shorter shows, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, in, in, uh, in two weeks' time, it'll be the first two weeks of December. And then there in three go. weeks, it's the Starcade watch along. And in four weeks, in about a month's time, uh, it's our final episode of, at least as far as news, notes, and TV goes, it's the final three weeks of December as we close out 1989 in the NWA. And then in five weeks, WrestleMania week, we're going to talk all about what was 1989 in the NWA. Oh, boy. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be fun. I'm actually, I'm looking forward to that one. Put a bow on it. I don't remember everything though, and I did. I take. I took poor notes. I think when I first started, I started jotting down like my favorite matches and stuff like that. Then we've watched so much wrestling between the first episode and this one that I've. I just totally spaced even doing it. So this is going to be fun, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll get there. But I'm looking forward to putting a bow on this year and moving on to something else. And um, I encourage everyone. In the meantime, we got at least four weeks until we record that show. So you guys go out there to Twitter right now and tweet us at Wrestling Grenade. Tell us who your favorite uh, wrestler was uh, for 1989, who your favorite or what your favorite match was, uh, your favorite storyline. Favorite tag team. Yeah. uh, Just uh, any ideas you might have, we'll we'll take them all under consideration. Best manager, most underutilized, which I can already guess where I would put that. Just any old thing you can think of, even some fun off the wall trophies and awards we can give away just send us your thoughts at wrestling grenade that's at r-a-s-s-l-i-n grenade on twitter 
And until next time, Steve, I want to thank you for being here. And I want to thank Gordon Soley for that iconic line. Five letters, two words. One of the most memorable sentences in professional wrestling history. And we heard it here as part of Clash of the Champions Night. I was happy to be a part of it, Steve. Thanks for joining me again this week for another watch along. Absolutely. I got a question for you before while we wrap it up. Absolutely. What do you think Jim Ross is thinking when he says that? You got to think, like, how does he come up with this stuff? Like, I, I wouldn't even know what to follow that up with. If I was sitting next to him and I heard that and I'm just like, Nothing's going to top that. Whatever I say the rest of the night is not going to top what Gordon Soley just said. I think in the you so, know going live like that, I don't know if you have time to think. It's just boom, 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 boom. It's kind of like when we're talking. Uh, it's like you just got to yeah, you got to say something. So you got to keep going, and they, and they they have to call what continues to go on in the ring. But I agree with you. I mean, it's it's a showstopper. That's why it's so yeah, memorable, it's, even thirty some years later. I mean, if I mean, you I mean, Google five letters, uh, you know, five letters, two words, I'm, I'm sure this pops up. Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking in his mind, he's probably thinking, this is the reason why you're the dean, and this is why you're the best. And um, obviously, he's a professional. He kept going, but man, I would have just been floored. Like, damn, I wish I said that. (laughs) I never really thought Um, a whole lot about how Gordon got on this show that I heard Jim Ross recently mention. He wasn't sure who came up with the idea or why, out of all the announcers they already had doing commentary, Bob Cottle, Lance Russell, uh, just the slew of guys they've been having, you know, do the shows. And then they wind up picking Gordon, who's really just done the WNN for the most part. And yeah, do you think it was Flair knowing like doing the whole show? Last though? Week we uh, talked about how Funk's Grill supposed to be the Steiners, and then they end up pulling in Gordon Soley. Right. So I wonder if it was a, a combination of Funk and Flair saying, "You know what? This dude did a hell of a job of putting us over on WNN and just talking about it. Let's just get him on the show." Yeah, that may be it, but and, it's uh, what's funny is Gordon spoke up, or at least he, he told JR he didn't want to do it. He didn't feel he was up to it at that age. I think Gordon's around 60 and had a uh, wow. uh, a huge uh, drinking problem by this point. Um, it's pretty well known, <laughs> and he didn't think that he could really yeah. make it through a two-and-a-half-hour episode, uh, you know, do, do an entire show, and he certainly didn't want to do the play-by-play, so there was no question that he was fine doing the color here. Just doing, you know, adding a little bit here and there, adding the color to the matches, which he he did a great job. After all those years of doing the play-by-play, being forced to do color, and I thought he did really good. At least the parts we picked up. It's funny because we didn't pick up a whole lot of audio, but when we did, it seemed like Gordon had a line every every time. Oh yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's great. That's a that's a hell of a line, and this tells you how good Gordon Soley was when he's on his game. He can make shit happen. Yeah, it was a fun show, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's always fun, these watch-alongs. I don't know how fun Starcade will be, but we'll try to make it as fun as we can. But we'll be back again next week with the final two weeks of November, and that'll only leave us one month left in 1989. Wow. Crazy. So I want to thank you guys, all of you guys, for sticking with us, subscribing, and listening to The Grenade all these months of NWA TV. And it's only a few weeks away. We're going to announce where we're going next. Is it going to be a different promotion, a different year? Well, you guys will find out in five weeks' time. It's just right around the corner, trust me, because we've been doing this thing for damn near 30 weeks already, and it's just, like you said, it doesn't feel like it's been all that long ago. So once again, thank you, Steve, for being here. I want to thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with more of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We'll see you next week. Don't miss it. Be there!
five letters, two words. I 